All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and I'm a little punch drunk. I'm a little, like, fried. I think we both are. But it's okay. I wanted to do a recap podcast for you guys just about this Alaska trip because it was crazy. And we want to do it while we're fresh and, like, in person together here. We're crammed into this little Hampton Inn hotel room. Um, But just want to go over this hunt because it was wild. It was wild. And it was... A lot of benchmarks that we had set, we got to live them out, and a lot of other stuff we learned, but... Yes. I mean, I've been on a, quite a few hunts. I've filmed a few, obviously done some personal hunts. This one is in its own category. Dude, yes, 100%. This is the most challenging hunt that tested all my skills that I've like re- acquired over the past three or four years. Like, It was kind of the culmination of stuff for me. It was... It was a benchmark trip, dude. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> as far as DIY go, um, it was, I mean, it was in, intense. Yeah. It, it was something that, I mean, let's start off just going through our first two hours in yeah. Prudhoe Bay. <laughs> well, hold on a second. I want to yeah. say first, this is John Bash, my buddy. He works, he has a company called Ghost Cat Media. They do all kinds of stuff all over, not just outdoor industry, but like loophole, but also like all over Commercial the place. work, outdoor work, yeah. tons of different stuff. But yeah. obviously, personal passion-wise, sits right here in this room. So. Yeah. And so, you started Western hunting probably similar to time frame around me, like four years ago, or are you more than that, Western hunting? 2018 was the first tag in my pocket. Okay. Um, so, a little bit before me. Yep. And um, then... But you spend a majority of your time of your time working behind the camera, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah, I have not harvested that many animals, and especially if you're in the filming space, you know, we, especially as it's your profession, you're using the time that you'd normally hunt yeah. to go work. Right. Um, so I don't get a lot of tags every year. This this specific scenario was super unique because naturally over the counter situation, mm-hmm. um, long week, you know, we got an opportunity to both film first, shoot second. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge blessing and it, it's a rarity, but it also poised a ton of different elements yeah. that, you know, are insane. Well, are, John was a really good partner, uh, good hunter, good glasser, glassed a ton of animals up. Uh, we had a good time out there. He um, was, you know, had the camera, like like I said, most of the time, but especially the first half when I, you know, yeah. like when I was kind of looking for one, and then we got to switch. I think it's something that um, I did with Luke. I've done some episodes like this. I think it's cool to team up with a guy like he was talented behind the camera, and also say, hey man. Like, you get a tag, too. Let's kind of team up on this thing. And we kind of shot it like this a little bit, like, behind the scenes, kind of, because as soon as I tag out, I kind of become cameraman, and I'm filming you, and we're helping each other. And um, and so we got two really cool tags filled, two stories yeah. kind of in one story. And then um, the other thing that was kind of a highlight, so we, were, we hunted, I guess, what, six full days. And the seventh day, we rafted. Two full days, 70 river miles yeah, from the foot of the Brooks Range into the flatland. Yeah. So it was an epic journey. Two 15-hour pack raft days after a nine-mile day, including a pack raft. And we'll get into pack it. But, or yeah. a pack out. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that. But, <laughs> I mean, as far as, I mean, Alaska is hard enough to do this 
filming in general with conditions yeah. and being yes, in the Brooks the range and um, all the different variables. But man, to introduce the element of, hey, when you are wrapped up, there's no one picking you up. Yes. There's no it flight. Was, yes. <laughs> it, the, the motto for this trip that kept going through my head was expect to self-rescue. Yes. <laughs> because like literally we the, we, the deal I worked out with the transporter was this airboat, um, dude named Hook out of uh, Prudhoe Bay. Um, yeah. Dead horse. Yeah. Dead horse outfitters. They, um, they basically took us up as far as they could on the river. Um, to an undisclosed location. Yeah, but they, it's important. <laughs> they dropped us, and then that was it. And it's important to know, like, they're a full-service outfitter. Like, For they sure. take people up there, they yeah. have tents, but they're booked out, what, three years in advance? Yes, they were booked out two or three years in advance. Um, but I called I called them and was like, hey, if we, you know, if you drop us off on an off day and we float out by ourselves, we take us up. And they're like, oh, we, and then we talked to my partner, and then... Like, yeah. yeah, we can do it. It was definitely a special case scenario, yes. you know, for the show. It's important to note, like, it's probably not something that they're going to do a lot of. No, they don't um, normally take people where he took us. Let's put it that way. And even beyond that, even if we needed rescue at the end of the hunt, he was no longer able to get to where we were because water That's levels true. had dropped two feet. <laughs> so it was a very much a... We were on our own. Yeah, it was an Uber ride. And we never saw the Uber driver again. Nope. And it was like, hey, you, if... All goes well, you're on your own, and if something goes haywire, you know, we're pressing that SOS button and racking up a huge bill. Pretty much. I mean, we were up there, and not only did we have the pack raft, but we had to use the pack rafts in the very beginning of the hunt, too. Um, so I don't want to go into a whole spiel about the pack rafts right now, but I, get, I do, I do got to say this. We had alpaca raft rangers. that They, yeah. they sent me two loner boats to try out, and they, um, they, they were good. They did. They, they saved our lives. The, yeah, the fear <laughs> level going into it was at an extreme high, but within two to three miles on the river, it was impressive just how much confidence you gained in yeah. them. Each with a whole bunch of stuff we shouldn't have packed and two bowls. Though. Yeah, I mean, we made every, not every, but we made a lot of the packing mistakes that probably a lower 48 person yeah. would make doing yeah. this hunt. That's true. That is true. But nevertheless, we saw some... Amazing stuff. We saw, I saw a white and a black wolf. One, I saw a wolf chasing two huge caribou bull, bulls. Um, we saw a giant musk ox at like 20 yards. And yeah, let's it. save some of the. Well, I'm just giving the highlights the play real by quick. Play, yeah. yeah, yeah, but we're going to jump into the play guy play. But um, yeah, let's just do that. So before we just jump all around. Um, so flying into Prudhoe Bay, what was your first impression? Obviously, neither of us had ever been up there. Okay, good question, dude. Um, yeah, Prudhoe Bay is not a town or anything like that. It is a oil outpost. Yeah. We were in a dormitory designed to house workers for two-week or three-week stints that go back and forth from their families. And it's just a really interesting environment. It's all dudes, you know, working. And there's like a few hunters and then mainly oil field guys. And we had, going into it, you know, I'd been to northern Norway and Finland and I was like, there's no way it's higher or further north. And you told me the Dalton Highway is yeah. the furthest, furthest north. north you can drive in the world. Yeah. And then I looked <laughs> at it on the map and sure enough, like it is a good distance further north than even the top of yeah. Norway. And yeah, yeah, I heard that is the farthest north in the world you can drive. Yeah. So you know, a unique thing being, as, even looking at yourself, the little blue dot in the pin up there, like not just the farthest north in the world, but obviously like cool to hunt in the furthest north species, more or less, of the entire you know, United yeah. States. 
And and we not just hunt one species, but we were living in this like thriving ecosystem with predators and prey, and we saw a lot of cool stuff. So we the ro- guy said last thing. The guy our guide said there's probably been a thousand people in the area we were in the last twenty years. So that's pretty cool. And that's there's not a lot of super cubs that fly in there. It's in, nearly impossible. It takes just the perfect amount of water. Yeah. to get up there yeah. in the airboats, which we were lucky to have a high water year. Yeah, which, which we still had, to, like I said, we had to use our boats to get in there too. So that's yeah. another separation point. So we get in and it's the full on like oil field, Northern Russia barracks, yes. like row building vibes. Flat ground. And we have- Industrial. From hitting the ground, we have about 90 minutes to go pee, get a cup of coffee, get everything yeah. ready to go, and we are on the boat. We're literally, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is just my planning. I actually, in retrospect, kind of don't mind it. It was a little bit frantic. But usually I plan like a day in advance. I remember when we got back to Brooks Camp at the end of the hunt, there were guys like waiting yep. a day or two in Brooks Camp to go out. Actually, I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do that in a way. But anyway. It's a know. risky thing. I mean, there's guys that got stuck there for weather. Um, so like going, you know, one thing that was fortunate for us is because of going immediately and we had a good weather day that we didn't lose any hunting days. Yeah. It was oh, like. Yeah. We lost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So we literally get to the boat launch and it's like some covered carport type like tent things. Yeah. We were like, hey, is there anywhere inside that we can get camera gear ready, change right. into hunting gear or stuff? And they're like, yeah, we got a carport for you. It was a canvas tent. Yeah. yeah. And like we literally, I mean, we're in flight mode. We have to change all our gear. I was wearing stuff. this. Yeah. Yeah. I was wearing like my traveling clothes too. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, it was just completely crazy. Like they're like, all right, here. And we had like an hour to reshuffle all our gear. And like I said, this is not just for like a little easy drop camp. This is like go in with everything to survive in Alaska alone, 50 miles away from anybody and get out on your own. So um, it was definitely like, and that's the thing about Alaska, like it humbles you. And like, it always gives me that like, that feeling in my gut, like I would get before like a lacrosse game or a wrestling match a little bit, just like, oh, geez, like you know, like you're about to go up against something big. Yeah, you're about to get hit in the mouth. You're about to get, like, it's, it is not, a, it is gonna be a little bit of struggle. There's gonna be some contact. There's gonna be, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so we're going up the river and like, just, I mean, you said it like really best. We got to see a pretty big spectrum of different migration corridor environments and it's pretty yeah. ranged so like yeah talk the me amount through, of ground we cover yeah talk you know talk through like some of the can't like the different environments because obviously there's the flats like talk yeah. through some of the different environments that you know this whole sure. river basin the iver shack um yeah had to offer so man, i love this you're like interviewing me dude this is great <laughs> um so yeah the when I was, we were going out is when I really noticed it mm-hmm. on the rafts. Obviously, you're going slower. You're part of the yep. flowing of the actual environment. You're a part of the environment, pretty much. On the way up, it's kind of like, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, here we go. And like my mind's going a million directions. You have like, like the con headsets <laughs> in, and they're like trying to tell you things. They're like, look to the, yeah. right? and it's like cutting <laughs> yeah. out, and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> and we're trying to film. We have, we just got off. Like, you know, what, 18 hours of straight air yep. travel. Like, so our, we're already, like, mentally and physically just off. Yep. And it's like, boom, into the fire. And uh, I don't think it was, I didn't forget anything. I remember being really nervous. Like, oh, I forgot something, definitely. But I, I forgot know. so many things. <laughs> On brand for me. To start off a spoon. Okay, anyway, back yeah. to the ecosystem. 
Um, so taking from the rafting, but yeah. I'm not going to jump ahead of the rafting. But yeah, there was you started off and it was kind of broad river, kind of muddy, very flat, just marshy tundra, but mainly marshy. Pretty much at the ocean. You're at yeah. like more or less, you're a little bit further in, but pretty much at the mouth of the river where the yeah. o- where the river flows into the ocean. It's just like marsh. Yep. And, um, and then you drive from Prudhoe about an hour, I guess it's south, um, and then there's the boat launch. And there it's still really, it's more tundra-y, but still very marshy and very flat. And then as you start to go, I don't know, about 30 miles in, it starts to get some big, I mean, really big thousand foot rollers. You know? True tundra hills. Like three, they were saying, you know, it might look like you can make it up in 30 minutes to an hour, but yeah. those hills are three to four miles just to the top. And yeah. then the top, what you know, the top is three miles of a flat plateau and then it goes down. Yes, like, they're huge. Yeah. Huge. And, um, and very tough to walk in. Like, I think they say if it's true tundra, like the really spongy, tussocksy stuff, mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's twice as hard. So like I think you you cover half as many miles like with the same effort. Yeah, and the perceived one, effort. The one advice we got on our you know our kind of prep podcast was the harder you push, the harder the tundra is going to push Very back, true. and that is a hundred percent true. Very true. You have to walk slow. Yeah. Or you will roll an ankle in thirteen seconds. For all Guaranteed. the yeah, for all the gamers that are used to you know doing quick miles and elevation and elk country, it is a different mindset. No. Yeah, I you mean, just, you just have to move slowly and intentionally. Um, so that's why I say you can't really chase down a caribou. But fortunately, we didn't have to. Yeah. So but, we get dropped off. Yeah. We get yeah. So then we get dropped off in the base of the Brooks Range Mountains. I mean, shale like sheep country looking mountains. And like you said it best earlier, we were right at the last point where there were still a couple rollers before it was like sheep mountains. Yeah, we had like a couple knobs that probably were like twelve hundred feet in elevation tops that we could go hunt. And if we went to the next hill beyond that we're literally climbing a sheet mount. Like there was yeah. no, you know, we're at the last possible yep. running right elevation. Right ranges went up into yep. huge mountains. So it was it was cool. And at that point, the water is extremely clear. John drank it all week without filtering, I think. Yep, I did not I did not <laughs> filter. I steripinned most of my stuff still, just to be extra safe, but the water was good. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's a little bit out of negligence. I had a filter, but filling up your Camelback, you know, <laughs> with a hand filter and everything all week, yeah. especially with all the energy you're putting into other places, I just kind of was like, well, we're going to figure out the hard way whether or not we can. <laughs> well, we'll just test it with Giardia. Yeah. Um, no, nah, it was fine. Uh, I drank some of it, but mainly fil- mainly I steripend it. But anyway, um, yeah, so we get dropped on... We basically had dropped as far as our <clears throat> transporter could legally take us within the, the scope of his jurisdiction or whatever it's called, his grounds. He can't go into the refuge, the wildlife right. refuge yeah. with the airboat. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so he dropped us as close as he could yep. on the river. And then we set up camp. Sorry, so we, I, I had yeah. another train of thought go out. Yeah, so we set up camp and immediately, you know, Thankfully, like, we did come very well prepared in terms of camp. It does not ultralight, but we had four-season Hilleberg tents. Yes. We, we were, were outfitted nicely. Yeah. I mean, we... we I had, a, like, a little ultralight cot. Yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, I think the big... One of the big ethos things of the entire week, which your buddy taught you, is, like, backcountry longevity. Yes. And I think Ned. Shout out to Ned. I think there's that tough, you know, duality on a hunt like this of, like, you could go super ultralight... Yeah. But if you don't have a shelter that's warm, that's comfortable, I mean, there was a very, oh, very dude. good possibility ex- anywhere in Alaska, but especially where we were at, 
that we could have been stuck in our tents for two whole days in a row. Yes. Um, it's happened to people we know. Um, it's happened to me. Yeah. Um, I'm so, so glad we had those awesome shelters. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we, we had zero degree or 15 degree bags. We had good yeah. little cots or really, you know, a little bit oversized sleeping pads, yeah. um, which was more so, you know, again, just to make sure that we could endure and push right. for the whole week. And we were also, which is, is a fair assumption, but we were kind of operating under, um, you know, get dropped in a spot, base camp, not really move it and kind of hunt from there. That's kind yeah, of the rafts were just mentally, to get out. Yeah. The rafts were just to get out, but turns out we get dropped on an island and the transporter basically says yep so they kind of come through here and points like to like many miles he's like sometimes but um just kind of figure out which way you want to go and go and it's a true like you know once you get up to the mountains at the at like the start of these rivers it's a true they called it a you know a reverse delta but it's a true river basin it's two miles across with 20 or 30 braids that might be six inches deep or yeah. four feet deep um but night one, we get tent set up and we pull up the glass and beautiful sunset. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, first thing we see, bulls. bulls. Big, big bulls. Ones. Yeah, we saw big bulls. Um, so we decided, we're like, hey, we're going to, you know, they were two, two and a half miles away. Mm -hmm. um, definitely in a playable range. Definitely in a spot that we felt confident that we could, you know, if they stayed in the area that we'd be in good shape. Um, so we went on a little scouting mission to just find out, Hey, you know, where can we, yeah, to see if we could cross on foot yeah, without and, having to get the rafts out. And we found out, we found out we could not, um, I brought waders, but even with the waders, I don't think I, it wouldn't have been safe to cross over that because once it gets past your like mid thigh, it's going yeah. fast enough where it's hard to stand. And that's the, one of the main reasons that we could float out is because this river has such strong flows that it yeah. provides enough speed that you can cover 70 river miles in, in a reasonable days. amount of time. Yeah. Um, so, but that is one thing. If you get one of these alpaca rafts, they're self-bailing, which they have to be. You cannot bring a not self-bailing raft on Yeah, this. no, you cannot. And also, get some ultralight waders. Yep. I would recommend I those. did not. <laughs> he was a little soggy. I stayed pretty dry. Um, but anyway, we were not expecting to have to, but um, after the first night of glassing, some really good bulls uh, on the... Which side would that be? The south side? Yeah, it'd be like the southwest Southeast of us. Side. Yeah, just across, the, you know, we did, we essentially had to cross, what was it, three braids of river to get to solid ground to where we could hike up into three. huntable it was three. ground. So we had to basically, and like I said, we were not we were not prepared to be able to take all our stuff on our back in one load. Like, we had the rafts, we had, you know, pretty good Getting shelters. Pangas, bat, yeah. like backpacks for camera gear, obviously our hunting pack. I mean, mm -hmm. we... So we couldn't just like grab the rafts and go. It was, we had to like make a plan to like shuttle stuff back and forth to like the boat launch site. And then we, we would have to, the first time we had to go over and across, take a load, come back, get another load, go over again. And then, it, so it was like an ordeal. It felt like for anyone that played Oregon Trail growing up, when it's like, take the risk for river crossing, like fording the river, like, and it was like, you yep. lost two wagon wheels. Like, it was one of those yep. things where it's we like- We lost two batteries and a card reader. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the drone. Yeah, well, thankfully the drone's yeah. fine, but like, yeah, I mean, and we were, you know, that was day two of the hunt, so we're like mixed with this excitement of seeing bulls immediately. Yeah. And also having to do the most technical part of the trip right away. That's a very good way of putting it. It was probably the te most technical part of the trip. It absolutely was. Because floating is already kind of hard enough, but when you got to like 
cross a swiftly moving body of water and like hit a target, it's... And moving that fast, and which Hunter was, you know, this is where I'll show my hand. I was like, okay, we'll just walk up and then we'll put them in and then we'll just go down river. But the current is so fast that there's no way to cross with the current. You have to paddle into the current yeah. and like slowly, I mean, we were, our target bars for crossing were maybe like an 80 yard window. So yeah. if you missed that window, you might end up a quarter mile down river. Yeah. I learned that from Mark Livesey. You gotta keep your nose up and row into it and just like slowly inch your way across. If you just try to bomb across, you're going down. Yep. So, um, thanks, Mark. Yep. Um, but that side note on the pack rafts. If you've been following like me at all, you know, I have like a um, sketchy history with pack rafts. Like, I, this is only the third time really I've hunted with pack rafts. And the other, and then the last time was this spring bear season. And I like, you know, I misunderestimated the current and just got like washed into some willows and it was bad. The time before that was pretty scary too, but it was kind of like a weak spot almost or like a fear spot. And if you're lower 48, like the, I, I mean, obviously you're safety prone, but like you're thinking of this water's 34 degrees. It's rushing extremely yeah, quickly. Cool. You obviously in your preparatory mindset of like, Hey, we need to be safe. Your first thought is it's Alaska. We cannot get everything wet because it'll never get dry. It'll never get dry. And, and we're not like, we can't just go on the phone. Like, Hey, come pick us up. Like, it's yep. not like that. We, you know, so he's busy with other clients. Like he might not be able to get back. It took us like three hours on the riverboat to get there. Yep. So it wasn't like just, it was like a long run back there, even on the, on the fan boat. Yeah, so, and I, I do have a very, like, kind of, um, I'm always, I don't know, not nervous, but, like, very aware of risk. Like, I get yeah. that from my dad. And you just got to be. It's yeah. it's, it's not It's nerf. a mix of paranoia and respect. I yeah. mean, you're like, hey, like, you know, up, especially when you're in a situation where there's no feasible quick safety option, you know, you are going to naturally be in a heightened state. Absolutely. And we, did, and we were in a heightened state for, all, like, it took us pretty much the entire day. Yeah. To cross, like, because you have to strategically pack, you have to, like, it sounds, like, maybe more simple, but it's, it's when you have camera gear to protect and, like, sleep systems, it's, you can't just, like, oh, yeah. So, we do it very methodically and carefully. Then we got set up in a nice camp on the riverbank close to water yep. and where we could basically glass pretty much from camp. I mean, we had to move a little bit to get to better spots, but. So, that night. You know, and I guess, you know, one really cool thing about being at the foot of the brooks is we were actually not in a migration corridor. We were at the end. We're more or less in the rutting ground. So this is where all these caribou were supposed to end up. Yeah. So we, you know. The bulls were starting to show up waiting for the other, like, cows to arrive and stuff. Exactly. So we didn't see, I mean, we maybe <laughs> saw one cow the whole trip. I, I to be honest, I, th I saw one, I think, cow, like, three yeah. miles away. I don't ever actually remember being like, that is for sure a cow. Yep. I mean, and, I pretty much all I remember is seeing is like nice bulls. Yep. Which is crazy. No, like one advantage. And a couple small bulls. One advantage of that for us was it was at times, you know, this was an unreasonably warm year for caribou. Okay. Um, from every, or like from every, all the accounts that we were told, yeah. the other hunters. That. I mean, and it was they just weren't in, you know, most people think, and we totally thought, like, we're going to see groups of 15, 20, yeah. like a true herd right. moving through. Right, never really through. saw big herds, like, moving through areas. And even people upriver from us were, you know, obviously post-op, when we got to talk to other hunters, they were like, dude, we didn't see very much migration activity. Yeah. So it worked out in our advantage to be in a spot that these animals were more right. or less 
home ranged, pat patternable. You know, they're the whether you call them lazy, whether you call them smart, smart. they're waiting yeah. for all the other bulls to group up cows and bring them to them. Yeah, that's true, man. That's I guess we were kind of talking a hook about that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's there's different like you were mentioning earlier yeah. too. There's different like styles of caribou. There's hunts like, and a lot of it, at least in my mind too, I was like, kind of expecting like you said the migratory animal kind of be more like waiting for him to come into an area. But what was cool about this hunt is like you just said we were able to pattern kind of bulls and then move in on them. So it was more like, it wasn't like your typical kind of just hang out in camp, wait for a caribou to cross by. Like it was a dynamic hunt. You know? Yeah. So like night one, we see those big bulls. We saw a group of four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then once we got, did our river crossings, get camp set up, we glassed the same group in the same spot, yeah. feeding, doing their same thing. Same hill. Same hill. And we make a move on them on night one. They were about a, yeah. 1.7 miles from yeah, us. We I like, remember, dude, like we were glassing them. You were looking at them through the spotter, and we were like, what was it like 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock? 8 o'clock, yeah. Oh, 8 o'clock at night. But it's light till 11. Right. 11.30. Yeah. But yeah, but I, at first we were like, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. Like, and now we know where to go. And then we look at each other, and we're like, dude, should we just send it? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we just went. And so we cover ground pretty quickly. We get to 1,000 yards and we closed the distance on like 45 minutes yeah and so you know th that's another thing like granted we definitely hit some spots of you know the maybe not the worst of it like the real real big ones but we hit some hard tussocks and some slow country yeah. but being that close to the brooks being in a river basin we were fortunate to have some harder ground yes. some rocky ground that we could allow us to move some quicker and further distances in a given day. We could find some pretty decent ground and we managed to find some pretty decent ground. Uh, you're right, there, there, we hit like a few bad spots, but yeah, we found some good some good walking. So we closed the distance to 800 yards and we're- I'm putting a shell in my gun. I mean, we, we thought like Bullet. this is gonna be quick. I mean, they're, and they're not, you know, they're, they're grazing, they're not, they're not moving out of that area. They've been there for two days. They'd probably been there for yeah. a week since, you know, before we got there. And so, you pull up the glass. Yeah. So we're going in. We're about to, you know, we think we're about to kill one. Yep. And we probably were. I pull up the glass. And at first I go, is that a fox? Because it's really far away. And then I realize it's a black wolf. And so I'm like, huh, interesting. So we continue stalking. I didn't even, I kind of mentioned it in passing when we started. Yeah. And then um, as we're getting closer, I put in another um, bullet in my, into the chamber, or I put a bullet into yeah. the chamber of my gun. I raise the glass again. And I just see the two bulls taking off. And I actually tried to flag them. I thought we had scared them. Um, but then I pulled my glass again, and there's that black wolf just, just dogging them. Pushing them up straight <laughs> into the mountains Which away from cool us. It was cool to see. I mean, obviously the hunt was over, but it was a cool thing to witness. Like a wolf, like, you know, being a predator, yep. trying to take out two mature bulls. So, and the, the flagging thing was pretty cool because I had no clue what that was. So, obviously, caribou have white butts. Yeah. So, you carried around with you in for dire straits. <laughs> a white stuff sack. Oh, yeah, white stuff sack. So, you know, as we're moving through, we look like big brown, you know, dark, you know, things moving around. But you threw it up just to say, like, hey, there's a white butt or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and those are, you know, that might work only, I don't know what the, it might work one out of ten times, but... Yeah, I mean, it, I heard it works pretty good if they see it, they're not scared. Yeah. Because they get curious, you know? When those, it's like the open ocean out there, and they see another, oh, it could be a caribou. They just want to go check it out, yep. you know? Because they're herd animals. They feel more safe together. Um, and we found out from that stock, you know, we were pushing pretty quickly, but one really cool thing just as we were pushing through that country is we found massive sets of moose 
um, yeah. paddles, like Two match, match sets, match sets, big legal bowls, four point like yeah. brow tine. You know, we got photos and videos of it, but it was a cool little like sample size of the bear, the moot. Like we were in a very dynamic mm -hmm. area, not just your typical tundra where you may just see yeah. caribou and bears. There's variety of kind of different little micro ecosystems. Like yep. there's the alders, there was the tundra, there was the harder ground stuff, and then there was like the hills kind of. So yeah, we had some more variety. It wasn't just like flat tundra, which I really liked. And we obviously we can see the mountains, they're beautiful. Yep. They get snow capped a couple times. But anyway, also that first stock that night, it kind of gave us a little like overview of like, here's a country, here's what yep. you can do, here's what's realistic. Um, so that was good too. So obviously I was a little bummed, but looking back, I'm glad it happened this way. Um, but I was at least glad that we didn't scare the caribou, but it was like just natural predation. I like thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah. And going through like any DIY hunter in like a new environment, like you're obviously your number one fear is like, don't let my newbie nature screw this. Like, I don't yeah. want to learn the hard way. Yeah. So that was nice. Cause both of us, you know, obviously when we saw him running off at first, we're like, yeah. Oh, did we blow them? Like we had the wind at our backs. So we were yeah. like, oh, is this a scent thing? Is this a... And I got to admit, dude, like sometimes I get in the zone and yeah. like that's, that's probably one area that I need to improve on is I noticed it when I was editing my mule deer film um, that's coming out this fall. Um, I have a tendency to just go a little hard yeah. and kind of just like, oh, and they, you know, they booger. But this is, <laughs> you know, but the caribou is one of probably one of the few animals like western big game animals to where you can get away with that a little bit more yeah yeah they're just these ones anyway are just not super i mean they're not gonna let you just walk up to them but they're not like super concerned about well, you said humans. a thousand people in 20 years like yeah. you know they're not a they're not routinely getting hunted right. by ground pressure and all this right. type of stuff and if they do they might you know maybe one or two bulls are taken out of there a year type thing it's yeah. not i mean and thousands of them will end up there Absolutely. So it's a low pressure, low, um, low hunted area. Like, oh, I don't want to get into that, but it's a low pressure area. So successful second day, we go back to camp, at least with some pretty high confidence that we've at least We're got consistently seeing bulls in this area. And obviously the next step on day three was the, one of the last little knobs, like pr pretty much where we were trying to get to on that stock. We were like, let's just get there in glass mm -hmm. the next day. Yeah. So yeah. We set out, we, you know, we kind of, we spend the morning glassing. We did see a couple more bulls up there and we're like, okay, still in the area. This is day three. This is day three. Okay. It was raining too. Yep. It was raining. And I, I remember we, we woke up and it was one of those days where I look out the tent, you can't really see anything and it was raining and you know, that thought in the back of your mind's like, yeah, you could just hang out in the tent, you know, like watch some Netflix or something. And I was like, no, we went ahead and got going, had some yep. coffee, took the shelter. So here's a big thing. Carry with you a tarp like i have a little dyneema tarp just big enough for two guys to sit under and we found not this day unfortunately but yeah. we found the next day if you carry four tent stakes and four trekking poles pretty much no matter where you are you can set up some sort of little lean to yeah so we were able to use that together that's just a little side note on the gear but um anyway it's raining so it's raining which <laughs> on, you know another fun fun little fact which is like probably just so 101 to most people but like when you're in a really good shelter like a hilleberg or something like that when you're laying in your tent in the morning, whatever amount you think it's raining because of the sound on your tent, it's about it's probably less. only 20% of that. That's so true. And you're it like, oh, it's, so it's raining more. outside. And then you walk outside and it's a light little drizzle, yeah. completely huntable. Yeah. Um, so, totally. you know, you kind of kind of combat your... 
absolutely inner wuss there and be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. it's really not raining. Well, that bad. and because those those freaking Hilleberg tents, dude, like the the vestibule is so big. I have all my gear. I have a completely clean and dry sleeping quarters over here. I'm sitting in my camp chair inside the vestibule of my tent with all my gear, like sipping on coffee yep. and like eating my breakfast. And like it's just so easy to kind of like get cozy in there. But Anyway, went out. So we go out, and one thing I'll pat ourselves on the back. I, we knew those bulls were up there. We saw them that morning. This is now three <coughs> days in a row of seeing these bulls in the same area. But we didn't push in that hard. We were like, hey, let's stage hunt it. We got all day. Yeah. Let's find out where they're at. Let's slowly move in. And the tarp was great for that because we would go three-quarters of a mile, a mile, set up the tarp, mm-hmm. go for two hours. And we were like, hey, we know because these aren't migratory, really, animals. They're at the end of the migration that – they don't want to get pushed out of there, you yeah. know, if they don't have to. Yeah. Um, so we kind of stage hunt our way in. Plus there's all these little seams and pockets that they can be in oh, yeah. and just disappear. So like if you just bomb straight up to the hill, like you could flush stuff out. So um, that was definitely the right call. We like literally moved in. Yep. Stopped, ate, chilled, glassed. For an hour in. and a half, two yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, it, it is big country. So like while, like where we saw them on day one, to where we stocked them on day two was still a mile apart. Right. It doesn't look like it because they're in the same bowl, basin, right. seam, whatever you want, you know, but they're still pretty far. So you still want to relocate them and kind of figure out what yeah, yeah. part of the tundra they're feeding Good on that point. day. Yep. So, but our goal was to eventually get to, you know, this little knob. Yep. Um, because it's, <clears throat> that was probably the first little knob, like where it started to kind of, change into mountains so that was like the first closest place to camp we could get like any type of real like significant elevation to see just the whole general area everywhere else like we get, we were kind of glassing from the river basin up you know yep. but this gave us a little better advantage and we could still see the side of the mountains and uh so yeah that was the ultimate goal is to get there so i think that was like our third stop right yeah it was our third yeah. stop and it was only I and mean, when we say knob we're talking like 600 to 800 feet of elevation yeah. it wasn't much no, but wasn't because much. of how flat the river basin is getting up a couple hundred feet Huge. is the difference between seeing five miles and seeing 500 yards yeah like <laughs> yeah um any elevation is like huge so we get up we get up to the knob there's this really awesome like world war one like foxhole shooting rest rock rock cropping <laughs> And I immediately am like, let's stop here. We can see all the area where the caribou were. There's like a cool covered shooting rest that we get to like, yeah. you know, we can shoot down into the base and where we would kind of been seeing them. And you make the comment, which every smart hunter does, like, let me just peek over a rise, which was. There's another like 100 or 200 foot rise that we weren't quite to the peak of this little thing. Yep. We got to see over the peak, man. Yeah. So, you know, naturally he goes over and, uh, you know, within. Oh man. I mean, he gets only 80 feet from me and looks back and just, you know, the white of your eyes are as big as they were all trip. And it's just like bull, bull. Yeah. And he goes, bulls, bulls. And he comes back and he's like, get the camera ready, get the, get the long lens and everything. And I'm just, I'm like, he's like, we're going to go kill like, and they're bedded. Yeah. So, you know, we have the upper hand. We actually have the wind in our favor. We have the ground in our favor. And I remember just being like, you're like, get it ready. I'm like, I have no clue where these things are at. Like, I'm like, I have no context. And, you know, we start crawling, we start, you know, doing everything that we should do. And 
yeah, I'll never forget being 15 feet behind you, finally getting to the point where just, you know, what Remy Warren said this a long time ago in a, a how-to, like a care, but he called it scrolling. Like you always want to, as you're glad, as you're going up these rises, you always want to scroll where you're glassing, going up 10 feet. So you're just incrementally yep. seeing, and that's exactly what you did and why you saw these yeah. is because you were stopping frequently and with every you know, 100 yards of visibility that you gained, you were glassing, and yep. lo and behold, you saw bedded yeah. bulls. If I had just completely nonchalantly just walked my butt straight up and just skyline myself, and I was like, look, hey, it probably would have ended the way it did. Yeah. But um, even somewhere in between, it probably would have, you know, yeah. if you weren't really taking it 20 or 30 yards at a time, there's a very good chance that, you For know, sure. we would have been a, busted. That's a great point. And, um, yeah, I was just doing what John just said, and I just see like a dark, kind of anomalous-looking spot, and yep. I like caught my eye, glass, and it was a young bull, like just bedded, like asleep. Like his, at one point, a couple points, his head was just in the dirt, like just, a lab on a porch. Yeah, like just out a younger bull, and then I, but I saw right next to him, I saw a mature. I, all I could see was antlers. It was like brush antlers, and I could see just every couple seconds, and so. I pretty much right then, you know, saw mature caribou, and I'm like, you know, my subconscious is like, you're going to yeah. kill this thing. And we had a conversation, which I think, like, is, you know, so important on these trips, especially if you're a DIY hunter, is, like, take the opportunity that you're given. You know, we had seen bigger yes. bulls already at this point, and we were in range of this. It was bedded. We had everything. It was a mature animal. As yeah. you Like, one of the things I really respect that you said is, like, it is an accurate representation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be a giant bull. It doesn't need to score huge, but like yeah. it is an accurate representation of what a mature caribou in that yeah. um, region look like. So, and I even told you, I was like, hey, you know, he's not as big as what we've been seeing. Are you sure? Are you sure? And you were dead set. You were like, this is a mature animal. Yep. It is a representation of what a caribou should look like. Had mm -hmm. a beautiful, big old, you know, front shovel. Um, had great mass. Um, and we had the upper hand. Yeah. Um, and then when you're 70 river miles up there and you're doing it by yourself, like, you know, I'm so grateful that we didn't hold out at this stage of where we Me are too, at Hunters, man. you Me know? Too. Like, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. I knew we'd seen bigger caribou, but it's not about the score for me. Like, honestly, I mean, it's fun to talk about like big animals and I'm sure, you know, I'd like to get bigger ones and, and that's all part of the progression. But right now, like I said, we're DIY hunters. Like we are out of state. I mean, we're basically in another country. Yep. Let's be honest. <laughs> like we're pretty much in another country. It's Closer to Russia than the United States. Yeah, it's yeah. completely different. Like going and doing this DIY at, at my, you know, relatively small experience level, I mean, I'm not going to pass up a mature animal. And I'm so glad I didn't. Like he's a sick like bull. I love him. So I saw those big things going and I, I knew deep down, I was like, yeah, He's not like the biggest one we've seen, but I'm I'm stoked on him. So we we seemingly have time on our hands. So we get the long lens on the tripod, and we'd been <laughs> recording them bedded for you know maybe ten to twelve minutes. You know we make the decision, which in open country, especially from a filming perspective, if you do have a long lens, it was like, hey, you're gonna crawl in, you're gonna close the distance. I think we were originally at about 320, 310 when we first saw him. Um, Okay, no, that's so. I was a little bit off my initial reaction. Uh, we were more like, I think we were probably like more like five or six hundred yards. Okay. When I first saw him, so I still had to crawl in a, I think a couple, maybe 150 yards or something. 
But by but, the time, once you had started crawling, we knew that we were like 350, not when we first saw them, but once we started crawling, we knew yeah. we were like in a lethal range. Yeah, so I saw the bulls. I crawled back to you because you couldn't even see them yep. yet. And I was just like, I wanted you to stay there so we could get ready while we were still like out of, completely out of their view, like on the other side of the rise. So that's what we did. We got ready, got the cameras ready and stuff. And then we kind of crept up to where we could see them again. And at that point, we sort of made the decision um, and it's kind of cool. The way we filmed it is like really behind the scenes kind of feel to it. Like you kind of get a feel of um, what it takes to film a hunt. I mean, too, the true which is a cool perspective. And so we're like, you know, we're, I, you know, obviously, and this is, you know, a, not a point of contention, but this is part of the workings of filming these things and creating an environment. You know, we made the comment, we're in a. I was like, hey, we need to like, let's get new batteries in. Let's, let's like, and, but Hunter. And, I went into hunt mode. Yeah, he went into hunt mode, which, uh, which like naturally you should because yeah. you're focused on um, filling a tag. So we set out, we have, you know, my camera, which is more or less a close range camera than obviously the yeah. long range one. We and get, honestly, in, in, since I was the hunter at yep. this point, I should have just from that, I should have already just given you the, the camera. Like yep. the beginning of the day. Yep. I should have. And that's, you know, that's one one testament to you though is you're doing a little bit of both. Like the camera batteries for that thing were in your pack. Like we're doing, you're film, self filming yeah. a little bit. I'm filming. There's definitely something. And that, I like that aspect of it too. Yeah. But so we get all set up. It's extra. You make the stock. They're bedded, and I look at the long lens. And both of them are in frame. You know, not going anywhere. And at this point, I mean, it probably it re, not just like hey, like it was like thirty. It had probably been twenty, twenty-five, maybe thirty minutes between when we first saw them to where I you're think it crawling. Felt like that. I bet it was more like five. I, I know bet it felt like an hour. I know we have over fifteen <laughs> minutes of film. Oh, do we? Okay. Of, of maybe them. it was. I mean, so yeah, we I get mean, set up, yeah. and I look at the. But they're bedded animals, and it's at this point three or four in the afternoon. So like we hadn't seen them getting up and moving till eight p.m. Right. But I always, and this is something I'm learning as a new hunter, I always have like a very big sense of urgency when I see an opportunity yep. just because um, they're just, they're hard to come by and you want to capitalize, you know? And so I like, I, you know, I don't like letting opportunities pass and when it's there, like I need to work on probably my patience a little, but. But yeah, that's a catch 22. Damned if you do, damned yeah, if you don't. Yeah, exactly. So we did it right, man. We did. <laughs> but it was, of all the hunts I've filmed, it was out of character for me to turn the camera around on myself in that yeah. moment. But I was like a little bit, you know, this is, we've met each other, but this is my first time filming for you. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I look at your camera, bulls are in frame, they're bedded, we, you're kind of getting set up, you're crawled ahead. I'm ranging, I'm getting Batteries at 18%. I'm like, <laughs> if these things stay bedded for 30, 40, like if they're just gonna hang yeah. out, I don't have. I don't know where these batteries See, are. If at. you knew me better, you knew I'd never let animals yeah. sit that long. <laughs> I, but but yeah, but that's the dynamic. Yeah, exactly. So I turned the camera around on myself. But is this at this point had the little bull stood up yet? No, he was laying on his side, and okay. then he had stood up. But he stood up and went down just once. Like he stood up and then laid back down. Um, did he? I he don't did. That. So I turned the camera around and I'm filming myself, and I'm like, Hey, I've got to make a choice. Either I'm gonna stop rolling on the camera, preserve battery, and wait till they stand up. Or, you know, just keep rolling till it dies. And just hope. And just hope. Yeah. Um, and right at the end of my monologue, the little bull was standing at that point. And that was, again, you know, 10, 12 minutes into it. And I was at 280 yards at this point. Yep. 
Great spot. Oh, he made it over the rise crawling. I, I, yeah. No I'm longer skyline. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. We finished that. Um, but I see the little bull kind of get a little bit squirrely, yeah. and it starts to move in a direct – it moves in a way and starts acting in a way that it hadn't been the entire time. Like, yeah. it just gets a little on edge. I was having a little trouble ranging him and kind of – so I crawled in to – I don't know, what was it, like four something? And I'd like to get closer if I can. They seemed like they were pretty chill. So um, I could get real, if I went straight at them, I could get like pretty close, but the the hill was on a negative grade. So it'd be really hard to set up prone comfortably. And a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks, I was on rock. And so, but I saw a spot about a hundred yards up and to the right a little bit that like, it was like a little scoop out. So where I could get like prone, and like comfortable. So I headed for that. Uh, which was a good call. Got set up nice and solid. And um, so, yeah, the, the the little guy, he got a little nervous. He, he knew something was going on. He stood up because the big the bigger bull, he was bedded in the brush. So that yeah, was Yeah, it was so me. strange. Like, Only could see his antlers. He was like, he was moving a little bit, but like from a, for a bull that was that old, you know, six, seven years old, he was not bedded in a way to where he had great eyesight. He was yeah. like brushed in. He was more concerned about, I think, cover yeah. than seeing. I think he literally had this younger bull out bed in the open, just like as his kind of canary in the coal mine, dude. Yep. And and that's what it was. The, so the little guy saw me and he got up. And at that point, my bull starts to be a little bit more aware, I noticed. Yep. And then eventually, you know, I'm getting set up and ranging. I'm trying to make sure I got a good range. Um, and he, the little bull starts to trot. I watched the footage last night. It's pretty cool. He goes behind the big bull. Big bull stands up all regal as soon as, and I knew, I knew that since the little guy was already trotting, if my dude turned, he wasn't going to like turn one step broadside and give me a broadside. If he turned, he was going to be trotting. Yeah. It was like code yellow going on code orange, going on code red, and it was all going to happen in two minutes at right. that point point. and the little guy is trotting so at that point you know he's probably gonna start trotting after the little guy and so i just i just in the way he was standing he was exposing perfectly his i guess his i can't remember exactly but perfectly with uh, his front shoulder exposed to the back so it was like perfect like line through his vitals and had a comfortable range i was rock solid hit him frontal and just I mean, it was the a, Barnes bullet. Just yeah, it was <laughs> shameless it, plug. Yeah. Barnes bullets. I mean, I shoot solid copper, and it's just devastating. I could hear the impact, and um, he went probably twenty feet, and then I saw him just gush like blood out of both nostrils and fall. Yeah, I mean, it was as quick of a, especially from my experience from that range from a three hundred yard. It was as quick of a kill as I've seen. Dude, it was those frontal shots. If you're confident and set up yeah. and like you hit him right, it's vi- I mean, you hit him perfectly right there and just very humane, just done. And it was, it was kind of, I mean, it was so, because we're day three at this point and it happened at four in the afternoon. I yeah. mean, it was like, it was the first full day of hunting. Yeah. And it was, it was shocking. I was like, it was, yeah. Bo- I mean, both of us, <laughs> neither of us really knew, we were like, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're playing a little bit into our just, you know, belief. We're like, hey, we're DIY, we're novice, we're doing like it felt too easy. And not in a not yeah. that it wasn't done meticulously and really strategically, but like 
to have it happen in that way, to walk up on a bedded bull, yeah. it almost felt undeserving. Yeah, huge hunts usually are much more of a grind. Like, it usually ends up being day five or six, and, like, you kind of, you know, get nervous for a couple of days in there. This is the one of the smoothest hunts that's ever happened for me, um, but such a blessing because, you know, I kind of paid my caribou dues already. You know, one of my first trip ever was in Alaska and didn't fill one then. Actually, look, I was thinking about it earlier today. I was like, it's actually kind of good we didn't kill. We were really far back. Yeah. If we'd killed two bulls, oh, it would have been brutal. But anyway, learned a ton on that trip. That's why I have like a special place in my heart for Alaska. It was my first trip ever. And so to kind of come full circle, um, it's always been kind of special for for me with the caribou. But um, really cool, man. And just when we got back, we, you know, we were able to get a rough age on it. I'm not an expert, but we yeah. talked to our guide and he's been doing it a long time and not, sorry, not our guide, our transporter. Yeah. Um, transporter. Um, there's a distinction there. But anyway, he said he was probably like six years old maybe. But they only lived to eight or nine. Yeah. So it's like. I mean, his back molars were like almost gone. Yeah. So that dude had survived five or six insane winters getting chased by wolves. Like it's just, I, I, I think they're really cool animals, man. And they, Where they you live. Know, it's just. And they're, they are like, so we walk up, mature animal, obviously, big-bodied animal. Yeah, like almost the size of like a cow elk, maybe? Smaller one? Small cow elk. I yeah. mean, for sure, like one and a half big mule deer. Yeah. You know. It, way it, bigger than a big mule deer. Yeah, way bigger. I was um, surprised. And interesting, like, you know, for everyone that likes to, you know, obviously break down their old animals and process, like, anatomically a little bit different than other deer species. I mean, for guys that have hunted... You know, a lot of whitetail, a lot of other deer species, yeah. hunted elk. Like, the butchering process was a little bit of a learning experience. It was, yeah. Especially the back strap. Because, like you mentioned, the yeah. back kind of curves down almost like a horse or something. Because you're so like, used to that back strap starting more or less at the base of the neck. Yeah. And finally, but because of that little swoop, that yeah. spine kind of stops. And they just have that, I mean, yeah. a huge neck roast. Yeah, and you, yeah, you, you got your back straps out really nice after we kind of had one to practice. <laughs> the second guy is always. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, man, it was such an incredible experience. But yeah, I do remember after seeing them go down, um, having this weird kind of just almost silent reaction. It's like, whoa, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't like jumping around, hooting and hollering. That's not really me, but I mean, there's a time for that. But I just, I was just like, whoa, it was just, uh, it did happen very smooth. But at the same time, it was the culmination of a lot of you know, just kind of multi-year, honestly. I think a lot of it too is like, we were so early in the hunt that we were still in the learning phase and we yeah. were still like getting our confidence of like how to manage the terrain. Like we True. were still just in the growth phase of the hunt versus yeah. like the confident, like this is the plan. Yeah. So to get it done while still <laughs> learning, yeah. you're like. I just walking over a rise, oh, bulls. Yeah. So, but we, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, but we put ourselves in that position yeah. Because that's where we saw the animals, and we did it in a smart way. So I mean, it was it was kind of like a it was definitely a blessing from God, but yeah. also we did our part. Yeah, we got in the arena. That's what you do. It's like it's like an analogy I use a lot is like hockey or like soccer. Yep. Sometimes the best move is just lob the ball in the direction of the goal as hard as you can. Yeah. <laughs> and just get in the arena, and then you can get more technical on how to like get it in the actual goal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like real estate. Like, like just get into yeah. the real estate where good things can happen. Start with the goalkeeper and just lob it down there. <laughs> um, which, so we shot, there was a little over almost, it was almost two and a half miles from camp. Um, 
like we said, we had decent terrain going there, but it was a, a hard... Bit tussocks. We had, from where it was killed, we had almost a mile, it was like half a mile, three quarters of a mile, straight downhill... Tundra. Tundra tussocks. Yeah. And we didn't hadn't taken that route yet. Yeah. So, like, the route we took up there was, you know, relatively manageable. Right. And then we found out, like, 300 yards in, we were like, oh, gosh. I do remember one time on the walk out, though, we were looking for some trees to make our little shelter, rain shelter, and there was none, and we were just kind of like, ah, you know, like, yeah. kind of like, this is, because that was during the tussocks part, too, but, yeah, the first part of the tussocks was, was tough. You got to be really careful where you put your feet, but it's just, just go slow, and, um. One little trick, like, trick that we picked up on is, not, there's a lot of blueberry bushes up there. And when you see blueberries at this time of year, you know, we're pretty much end of August, start of September. Um, they have like a dark red hue and there's really bright red stuff on the ground. But yeah. these blueberries have like a dark red, almost like a, you know, like an auburn colored leaf. And then the lichen obviously is really bright white. The light colored. And white when you got lichen. that mix of those blueberry bushes mm -hmm. with the lichen, it tended to be firm. firm. Yeah. Now yeah. the tussocks were bright green, like everything that you're normally yeah. like, oh, there's a bright green field of everything. No, yeah. don't and go near And at first your brain's like, oh, a high spot, step on it. But then it just, so you got to step in like the little like pockets in between the tussocks. Which could be six inches deep. They could be a foot and a half deep. Yeah. Um, Saturated with water. Yeah, which, you know, obviously, like we said earlier, the pack, out, when, once you put, introduce even more weight on top of your pack, it's just, you just got to go sink. slow. Yeah. You just got to go slow. Gotta and go slow. So that was a little bit of a slog of a pack out, but um, it was super cool to come full circle, get my first caribou. Um, like I said, you know, this felt like a little bit bigger than just like the individual animal, just because, like I said, this hunt um, right now represents the culmination, I feel like, of my like hunt, my short hunting career, Western hunting career. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I don't think I, I said this on the camera, I think, on the film, but I don't think I could have pulled this hunt off any other time before now. Like, every other time I've been to Alaska, I've been with a friend who's got more Alaska experience. And, uh, you know, this is a different dynamic, and um, it just felt, like, significant and, uh, like, a big, you know. I felt a little out of my depth a little bit. When yeah, we, first we got talked there. about that, yeah, which we, I think is natural. And, like, yeah. anyone that... you got to stretch yourself, right? Yeah. you got to get uncomfortable, get outside of your comfort zone. And we definitely did that, and I think it's... You'll see it in the footage. You'll see it in how we talk. You'll see it, you know, in the episode. And I think that's, like, for anyone that's looking to do this, if you're watching videos and people are just exerting confidence like it's not going to be that way it doesn't need to be that way like it's no. okay to yeah you know and it's probably natural to and Alaska's for your own safety game, to have some fear yeah um you gotta have some healthy respect fear yeah, yeah. but that moment was cool i mean uh, even when you going into the trip and you're talking about you know how that first caribou hunt which the fact that like your first like your like catalyst moment of Western hunting was a caribou hunt in Alaska is so foreign. Like, yeah. like that's such a, you know. I've hunted caribou more than I've hunted elk. As that's my mom would say, that's such a bass backwards way yeah. of doing it. Yeah, um, I've never elk hunted yet except for filming one. Yep. I've been on like a couple of caribou hunts. Um, but to see like, you know, it's like you were like, that was like your like, you know, freshman year of college and this was like graduation. Like you were still confident. You were still, you still knew a lot going into it. You're still, but like this was a cool maturation and like end of a cycle and to do it where it was, was really admirable and impressive. Yeah.
And I do got to give a shout out to my buddy Ned. I don't know if you listen to these things, dude, but Ned introduced, introduced me to Alaska, taught me a lot. Um, good dude, good hunter. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's cool. So the next day was probably my favorite day, which, you know, <laughs> for some reason, and this is like everyone that's probably hunted Alaska a lot of times, they'll probably scoff and like be like, you know, they've gone through the ringer. God just gave us the next day. It was amazing. The most beautiful rest day that it could. Was. It was Valhalla. It was like <laughs> sunny, Sabbath. not a single cloud. Got up to like sixty. At one point, you were like shirtless, t-shirt. We we're yeah. like, is that the same day that I was shirtless? So we. It, it was. It wasn't. But you were in yeah. t-shirts, walking around, like yeah, yeah. you know. So, but we got to, you know, we because we're close by the river. We shout out. Uh, Aquabound paddles. We mm-hmm. did a really, really cool, like, impromptu meat pole. Yeah, it worked really well. Where we took the paddles off. We found some big alders to where we could, you know, get the paddle in the alder, um, like, kind of wedged in between branches and hang the meat. Mm-hmm. We used the floors of our alpaca rafts to shade it. To shade it. We cut a bunch of, like, axed a bunch of brush to shade it in. Yeah, we um, did the absolute best we could to take care of that meat. And I think that's, you know, one thing to make note of if you're going up there is like have whether it's, you know, the other thing was your tripods. The mm-hmm. night before we did that, yep. his two tripods had hooks on the bottom of yeah. them. So it's we, for like counterweights. Yeah. You know? And so, we, yeah, we just hung the meat right on those things. It worked perfectly. Got it up off the ground, aired it out. And if we hadn't actually, because after that night, um, it got significantly warmer. If we hadn't like hung that stuff up to air that night and cool down thoroughly... It could have been disastrous yeah. the next day because it was able to go into that next warm day with like a cool core temperature um, and kind of survive that yep. warm day. Otherwise, it might have been sketch. And if we, you know, if you're doing this on like a drop in, like a super cub hunt, like if you're not thinking through your meat preservation strategy, yeah. there's almost going to be no resources out in the tundra for you to do anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and it. I mean, it's extra work, but, like, I don't know. I talked to some guys who were like, oh, we're donating our meat. And I was like, it's just sad, dude. Like, it's such amazing meat. Like, yeah. it's, we, we spent all day today, literally. And we can go through, the, I'll go through more later. I'll do, like, a logistics podcast. This is more about the story. And I want to tell you guys, we learned a lot about logistics of getting meat and animals home. I'll do more about that, so we won't go super into detail on this podcast. But we learned a lot about that. And But it's, it's a lot of work. But just coming home with hundred like, I think my case of bone-in meat, so it hadn't been deboned yet, but just the meat alone was 97 pounds. Yeah, so. 100 pounds of, and non-GMO, never... Never even know. seen a farm. Yeah. Like, all natural food. And, you know, this, for someone that wants to do this DIY, like, you, getting up to the Arctic Circle, getting your gear up there, the gear that it takes to be there, it's not a cheap hunt. So, like, and not to say that there isn't value in just you know the trophy aspect the photos the antlers but to go to spend all the money the investment the training the gear prep and to go home with just the taxidermist bill it would have been tough you know i just yeah the payout for me is you know sitting around the table like knowing the lengths i went to get that meat like my whole family's eating together i just love that but um so the rest side note yeah yeah, we dried everything out we set up clotheslines like because when you're in, like, kill and pack out mode, like, my my top layer was, like, completely soaked because I just took off my rain gear just crawling through. You know, you're just doing yeah. whatever you got to do to kill. And it was raining and drizzling. and <laughs> Yeah, and the, they were cleaning the, the animal, 
you know, in rain for yep. hours. You got blood. So everything was soaked and bloody and gross. And, like, God just hooked us up with this amazing sunny morning. We got everything dry as a bone, tense. Everything dry as a bone. Like a reset. Yeah, we went through, like, a full, like, chore cleaning day. Like, it was like a camp, yeah, camp reset yeah. day. And it all it amazing. It all ends. Charge batteries. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, we had uh, <laughs> yeah, we had some, some just, you know, your typical goal zero solar panels charging some stuff. But, you know, we get to the end of our rest day. And, of course, what better way to celebrate a kill then he goes and <laughs> he goes a drink of myself more graceful than that um so he you know he grabs some tenderloin he grabs some you know some other meat and you know it was we, meat off the shoulder we yeah got a little chunk of meat off the shoulder and a tenderloin for my bowl and then johnny boy yep we did bring fishing poles tell him so we go out and where we were at and fishing is more or less my background Gr- granted i've never caught a i brought a fishing pole up there and never even took it out of the case so i'm like <laughs> you know i'm all excited i'm like busting out the spinners and whatever and there's like a little current seam kind of but i mean the water was maybe two and a half feet deep three feet like where we had accessibility to fish and my if i would have in the moment i think i told you i, was like, I think there's less than a five percent chance i catch a fish and i had fished for maybe 25, 30 minutes, like making the same type of cast over and over again. You're like filming to get some B-roll. Mainly eating lunch, but yeah. also filming. And <laughs> lo and behold, I like, I'm like, oh, what the heck? Like yeah, that is- my bagel is like, I got one. I'm like, no way. <laughs> and so we go, uh, you know, we catch this grayling. We, a big, nice grayling. Yeah, like a good like 18 inch grayling. Um, we bleed it out, we leave it in the river. He's working on the meat. Um, tech- you went out, he went out like a 45 minute berry gathering journey oh, while I was out. So I was slicing the, I took the meat, made it a little medallions and I carry a little bit of salt and then a little, a little MSR salt shaker with, uh, garlic powder, onion powder, and pepper mixed. And then just season up the meat. Yep. Tell me what you did with the berries. So, I mean, it was, I go, I'm like, I'm going to go pick a few blueberries just for us to kind of like snack on. I had yeah. no intention of like picking and I was like crawling on my hands and knees in the tundra, like straight bear bait. Like I did have bear spray on me at all times, but I'm crawling around. I'm just having the time of my life. I'm like strategically finding like bushes that are on this little rise have more blueberries. Like I was like hunting blueberries to the You're most foraging, bro. Yeah, foraging to yeah. the to the tenth degree. And That's um, awesome. you're out there a while, dude. And, and so I come back a with a you know a jet boil like a whole quarter full. full yeah. Um, of blueberries. Awesome. Oh, we ate the uh, there was fresh roe in the grayling. Yep. We ate the raw row. So yeah, so our dinner that night was like, and you, of course, you know, if you're going to do a hunt like this, especially if you have a big camp, a couple of guys, like bring a pan. Like bring Yeah, a- I was going to mention that. So I got just a little eight inch MSR frying pan. It's definitely worth it for like this kind of trip. Like if you want to do something cool like this where you could cook in the field, you can't, everything else I cook is in a 650 Tokes titanium cup. Yeah. Like you can't make... You make a backstrap yeah, you in a make, titanium cup. Yeah, you pretty much just make coffee and freeze dried, yeah. you know, in that kind of stuff. So, so I took a little bit of fat off the back of the caribou. Actually, it came from off the tenderloin. Just like two little pieces of fat. Just get a little yep. oil in there. Threw the um, tenderloin in there. We ate that just straight off the grill. It was so good. And then the other meat we cut and made my little traditional taco. I always yep. make. We didn't have cheese on this one, though. We didn't have cheese. Just straight caribou meat. I shared one of my tortillas with you. We yeah. had those. And then what'd you make with the yeah, berries and fish? We filleted up the grayling. We, uh, he, had, he brought a little bit of sugar, which was my probably coffee. It was like the most clutch thing in the moment. So 
We're like picking at a few of these blueberries and you're like, I'm like, screw it. I'm gonna mash these up. He starts ma mashing with a tent stick. With a tent stick. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna make some like puree. And this is like the worst, <laughs> the worst gesture. Um, but so we're mashing up these blueberries um, and we make this like puree, like sugar blueberry jam puree. Yeah, we added puree. some like, coffee sugar in there. And the grayling is a super white, mild fish. So we yeah. put that on there, put the roe on top of it. I mean, for a couple of average dudes like us, it was some. Yeah. It was about as good as a backcountry meal as I've ever had. It was really good. So we got some rest day, some nourishment from the mountains, straight yep. from the mountains and from the streams. Um, unfortunately, we never saw, we only saw three ptarmigan the whole trip, and they were during John's stalk, which we'll yeah. get to later. But um, So no, no uh, ptarmigan, but the grayling was amazing, and the, and the uh, caribou was really good, so... So the next, um, what did we do? Anything else that day? Just took care of the meat. Yeah, ate, we just kind of just rested, recouped yeah, and kind of started dried get, out. Yeah, glass a little bit, obviously yeah. trying to make a plan because obviously you know it's then it's my turn. But okay, at this point though, yeah, I think is this when, at this point, our little kind of honey hole. We saw um, one bull that night walking away. Did we up in the base? Remember, was walking over. We saw one bull. Isn't that, that before night. we killed mine or? Uh, that was after. Okay, the next day. Yeah, yeah. But it seemed like it started to started to dry up in our little where we had been seeing everything. I mean, granted, there was wolves hunting wolves, there. We had a carcass in there. We killed in there. Yeah. yeah. So and, I mean, it was starting to get hunted out. And that's like the downside. You know, there's obviously plus sides of having these being like home ranging, non like migratory stage. But the downside is pressure. Yeah. You know, the, if you get in on a herd and you kill one and you push them around, like they're not gonna just right. stay around. So I think the next day though, after a nice little rest and dry out day, was another rainy day, wasn't it? That's... That was the rainy long tent day, yeah. or long uh, lean to tarp day. Shelter, yeah. You're in the tarp shelter a lot, but this is when you found the bulls across the river, right? The first time? Yeah, we saw them for the first time and like, so there's two, essentially where where there's two, there's a, another Wait, river system. hold on a second. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Or was this the day where it was sunny again? I had my shirt off. No, that okay. was the next day. So like the next couple of days kind of went through in a blur because we really weren't seeing caribou in the spot that we had kind of counted on being like the yeah. money hole. Right. And we had seen, you know, we'd saw them like way up, talk to way up on a ridge, like six miles away. We saw some across the river, four and a half miles away. But at this point, like those really weren't options in our mind. Yeah, that's um, true. We kept expecting to see bulls again where we have been seeing kind of where I killed mine. Um, at some point, I don't know, maybe it was two days later. So the day after was the double rainbow day, which was okay. the rain. And then the day after that was the sunny day. And that was the day that we saw them. So that's day five now at this point. And muskox day. That's a different day. Uh, muskox day is day six. So day, so again, we're, these like, this is the slowest part of the hunt and we can compress it a little bit. So like. Yeah. We saw cool stuff during that though. Yeah. We're 20 yards from a muskox, like a sick one. So day five, <laughs> we go, we see the bulls across the river. Day six was the morning we woke up and I'm like, hey, let's dive in and cross the river. And but if, day four, did you see him over there? After day, no, yes, day, day four, four was rest the rest day. Day. Yep. day five is when it's rainy. Raining. And you we saw, saw him the first time. We saw the him the first time. And then day six was the time that we were like, let's go across. And we got into the thickest, berriest, mooseiest. And I say bear, like grizzliest, right. mooseiest. We put ourselves probably in a pretty bad. It was pouring rain. Yeah. And that's when we decided, okay, this is not a good idea. Yep. We went back out to yep. look for our honey, look in our honey hole. Yep. And then that night, okay, then we see the bulls yep. in the area that John was trying to get us to. 
Yep. And then we decide, all right, let's actually try this. Because where we were where we were at, we had a vantage. We could see a spot that looked like it was maybe crossable on the river. Yeah, we could see like an embankment. We could see some of the river. Um, but in the terms of the timeline at this point, so he kills on day three. We get the meet up on day four. You know, day five goes by, day six. Like, the meet can't just hang forever. No, we're on a ticking time clock. Yeah, and so we had kind of... Especially with it got it, colder, yeah. luckily for us. It did it. get down to like 32 or 33 one night, yeah. so like we got a little grace there. But even with a two day float out, we kind of knew day seven was the last possible hunt day, right? Plus, we were looking at our um, in reach, I was constantly checking the like premium weather report. And so, obviously, you want to try to hit a weather window, you don't want to be like paddling out and driving rain and stuff. So Towards the end of the trip, and we're doing, you know, math of timing and stuff in our brains and trying to get home to families and other obligations and stuff. And so we kind of decided, originally we decided the 31st was like the last possible day we could float out and like make yep. this work. Luckily, well, we shifted it to the 30th because of the weather window. Yep. We had two good days, one marginal, one good day for rafting in a row before more rain came in. So we decided... Basically, we need to get out of here by the 30th. Yeah. And we're still at this point pretty precarious about the rafting. Like, Oh, I was uh, nervous. Yeah. Our first experience. It was like looming over my head like yeah. a sentence. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> we got to raft out of here. We bro. were talking like, what do we have to say? To, what do we have to, what message do we have to send in inReach to get picked up? Yeah. Like, well, like transparently. We were searching for, yeah. Yeah. We almost were trying to chicken out. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't. So, night of day six, we'd seen these bulls. We didn't really have, and they're about at this point, three miles from where we were glassing and we make the decision let's go see if it's even feasible to cross that river because tomorrow is our last day we don't want to burn it figuring out that we are going to hike four miles and can't cross so we go down there we literally are zigzagging up and down these river braids just searching like a legit pretty legit river oh i mean yeah i mean for sure you know 800 to 1,000 yards across with a bunch yeah. of little braids. Um, we get over there pretty easy, but again, this is from... And, okay, here, back up a little bit, yeah. too. John's had wet boots from day two. Day two. Long story short, we don't have to get into it, but his boots got wet on the first river crossing onto our base camp. So he's kind of like in just whatever mode. Like, I'm still in like hardcore foot preservation, Alaska mode. Yep. So I'm not messing with getting my boots wet. Like once they're wet in Alaska, I had a little they're bit, wet. I had a little bit of saving grace because your buddy had those super low energy yes. boot dryers. Yeah. Shout out to Austin Graxaw. Um, they have these, they're computer fan kind of basically boot dryers. They plug into a battery bank. And I literally ran those things for probably 18 hours straight and it didn't even take a bar off yep. my battery yeah i ran them overnight i yeah same type of thing i ran them overnight on a, like a just a normal like phone charging battery like a cheapo like an 80 dollar yeah. you know amazon one and it took one bar off yeah they're really low energy and um it gets just some airflow in there dry your boots out they work pretty good so check out Graxaw. um they're on yeah you can find them on instagram and stuff um but anyway um so yeah. night six so we get to this river crossing he is determined he's bird dogging oh, to get across dude. this river Okay, so that's what I was getting at. Yeah. I didn't, I was not trying to just go take off across the river. And this is 7 or 8 p.m., still we, 35, 40 degrees yeah. out. So we'd already tried once this day to get across this river and decided, eh, this is not a good idea, we're not going to make it, whatever. We get to a vantage, we see a crossing, we think, we said, let's try it. We get there, 
It's 7, 7.30 p.m. It's cold. It's been a long day. We're both tired. He's determined to get across this I'm, thing. I'm going up and down, and all I'm saying to him, I said, we got nothing but time. All we have to do is find a spot to cross. Like, he, you know, he's I was like, Ugh. yeah, he's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I was like, what do we have to lose? It's the only place that I was like, you know, and that's like, that's a true hunting dynamic. Like, you know, we're yeah. at different stages and, you know, we're different at, you know, I'm still at this point. I'm like, you know, the clock is looming over my head and, mm-hmm. um, so kill a bull. yeah so ultimately we find a spot that you know wasn't like super easy but we do this big zigzag pattern we keep a track <laughs> and we pretty much have a formula to get across this river he, fi- he finds it shout out to him he yeah. finds his way across this river uh he looked like one of those lizards that like jesus walks across the, the ponds at one point and so i was like dude he, he got, so we got, what, probably two-thirds of the way across together, yep. me, me begrudgingly behind you the whole time. Yep. And then he gets to one point where he had to literally, like, dance across this pretty deep part, and I thought it looked pretty, like, deeper than my boots, so I was like, you know what, dude? I said to you, I remember I was like, yeah. you're like, I'm going to cross right here. I was like, I can't promise you I'm going to be behind you. Yeah. And you're like, okay. But we, we figured it was fine because we were I could still see him. We were in eye, you know, shot of each other. I was just like, I'm not having it tonight. I'm not crossing that thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I just didn't I wasn't feeling it. But we to you to your defense, so I get up on this berm and I'm the area that we'd been seeing this bulls was a mile and a half long giant like peninsula in between these rivers of like the best looking tundra you could imagine once yeah, we got up to it. Tundra. Yeah. And so but I'm not too hard to walk on either. No. And I'm standing up on this berm and it's just so flat and I'm like using the spot. I'm standing on the highest little mound I can find using the spotter and he's down, you know, just 80 yards beneath me down on the river. And I go down and we pretty much come up with this plan where you look me in the eye. You're like, if you see a bull in killable distance, I'm crossing the river. Like yeah. you were, you were game. Oh, yeah. It was, it was just too late in the day after a long day in the rain sure. to... Just if like, you had, if you had like raised your hands like bull, bull, I would have been like, yeah, I would have been there. Yeah. But I was just, I was like I said, I was in preservation, foot preservation still mode. So uh, I was like, I'm not going to cross unless I have to. So didn't have to, but we basically essentially found out that it was possible yep. to cross. Um, and you didn't even really get any more wet. So. No, thankfully it was like just up to like almost to the top of a gator, but it was rushing water. I mean, it, it was you one- did something smart. John had his rain pants tucked into the inside of his gators, and the gators on top. Yeah, so that way, if the water got through the gator, it would at least flush past the boot yep. versus going, you know, straight into the boot. Right. Stayed relatively dry, um, and then, but it was far. I mean, just to get to the river, not the crossing, not the thing, was three miles. So we're looking at like yeah. four miles from camp, which is a lot in yeah. the tundra. And even just going back to camp that night like was i remember being like this is a long walk the like only, i put music in yeah the only plus side was coming up on that muskox yeah. uh, about about a mile in i'm walking i just see this giant brown thing in my periphery and my brain in the course of one second goes bear no bison no muskox and it was like this just freaking stone age looking like like Star Wars creature, just like dude, rawr, rawr, just coming big through. old bull, just like just big old through, mop dude. of a bull, just coming through the the little river basin there, and just like looks at us, like we we pounds the ground, yeah. rubs on a I'm tree. I'm like ripping out my long lens camera. He's running up to get closer shots. I finally get the long lens camera out, and it, it was kind of crazy. I didn't realize like how much time we had. Like yeah. I, I don't know Muskox behavior. Yeah, yeah, they didn't give it. They were but so he, un. Yeah. I finally get set up. He's like, like rubs this tree, this thing, and just like stares at us. Like, 
Mm-hmm. And it just like kept going. But like like the double rainbow, like we call those like little like little unicorn moments, and like yeah. we had like little moments that were just like little treats from Alaska of like, hey, this is cool. Like even though the day was a grind, you know, this is a cool little moment that's like irreplaceable. Yeah, almost every single day. Like the day yeah. before this, we didn't really talk about it, but we saw this epic like golden hour double rainbow, like huge two complete rainbows. And when we say like double rainbow, the both of the ends of the rainbow were less than a mile from us. It was like, yeah. you can go, you want to go get the pot of gold, pick which side you want to yeah. get it from. It was the most amazing like rainbows I've ever seen. And we got a bunch of cool photos and videos, but um, anyway, so yeah, every night we had like one of these cool like moments. unicorn moments, like you called it. So day seven, I we wake up, we're socked in till like 11. And yeah. I remember... It's kind that, of a chill morning. Yeah, super chill. But I remember... Look, and at this point, you know, we're glass, we can glass where you killed your bull and we're just hoping. I was like, please be a bull up there so we don't have to go four miles and cross that river. And Looking back, it's a good thing we rested up that morning. Yeah. But I look at Hunter and I'm like, Hunter, I will carry, I will carry your waders. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to go cross that you did river. Offer to carry the I don't want to go hunt a bull four and a half miles from camp. But if it's the last day, the last evening, this is, I think, the only way that we could get this done. Mm -hmm. And so we do it. We make the long, you know, long. And I didn't hike. hesitate. I you did not. You. Oh, he was refreshed a little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And so we both crossed that river. I used your tip. I put my rain yep. pants into my gators. No waders required. Put my big boy panties on, and we crossed the river. Yep. And we get up there about totally dry feet, by the way. Five forty-five, six o'clock. Yeah. Um, so good amount of time. And at, th at this point, like, we don't know if they're going to be there. We're glassing. And when I say like, we know, had the feeling though. Yeah. We had the killing feeling. And it's so like we were like, I don't know. <laughs> we were making all kinds of jokes. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. And so, you know, we're on this and we don't want to push too far into the tundra because they could be bed. They were bedding a lot. It's so like, thick. They could be a hundred yards from us and we wouldn't know it unless yeah. they stood up. And everything in that tundra was about knee to maybe thigh high. So when you're looking at a mile and a half of that, like, especially with little rises, you're looking through the spotter just hoping that you can see th this and much antler. of the tops. Yeah. Um, and so I push in, you know, we're just staying right on the river edge, doing what we've been doing all trip and not pushing all the way in, not doing too hard. And I go about 300 yards, um, you know, in just to kind of get, see if, yeah. I, see if there's a little bit better vantage And I was point. behind you with the long lens. Yep. And you had the spotter. And so I got the spotter and I'm looking and I'm looking and we had probably been up there for 40 minutes without seeing anything. And I just, every morning, you know, I normally sing a doxology um, and before going on the hunt. And for some reason this morning, maybe of that particular one, because we were socked in, like I just didn't do it. And so I'm sitting behind the spotter and I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sing my doxology. That's awesome. And so I'm looking through, singing it out loud, like under my breath and I'm just slow, like, you know, the spotter's just stationary, but I'm just scanning the tops of these trees, and I just see. And oh, like, he went up like that? See it, see it, did I see something come up and turn, and I just look, and I got tears in my eyes immediately, like mid doxology, like <laughs> there's the, there's a bull, it's early, it's six, you know, six, six thirty, like we got plenty of time. It was earlier than that, wasn't it? It might have been 545, 530, okay. yeah. But, uh, and yeah, so I come back to you and I'm just like, bulls, like we're gonna do this. And, but it was really hard. You gave me like a yeah. thumbs up or something. And so because of how big the flat was, I didn't know if they were a mile away. I didn't know if they were 
three quarters of a mile. I mean, through the spotter on flat ground and tundra, when you're just looking at an antler move in brush, it's you're like, how far are we going to go? And so we start pushing in and we get to, you know, and we're trying to relocate them. And I'm like, okay, you know, we go 300 yards, get the spotter up, look, don't see them. 200 yards, get the spotter up, don't see them. Finally, we've gone about a thousand yards from where the river edge was. And I see, you know, not a huge bull, not the one that I had originally glassed, not the one that turned, but a different bull is walking towards us. He's got a bunch of little stuff going on. Yeah. And I just look at him like, he's walking towards us. Packs are going off. We're going into go mode. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and I'm in, I'm in cameraman mode at this point. Yeah, and rolling which on Which is fun. Yeah, rolling on everything. And so we're like pushing. I'm, I'm following him. I've got one, I got the long lens camera in this hand, which is super heavy. And then I, I got my, uh, the handheld right here filming him. And then I'm like using my head to hold the camera because it's getting heavy. So and like, we're like, <laughs> we're running through this butt brush trying to stay as low as we can so he doesn't see us. And I'm holding the spotter and the rifle and like yeah. my back is like destroyed. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like crouching and covering, you know, hundreds of yards just crouching going through. Yeah. Um, so we get in and I start ranging him. And yep, we, we can see him with up. the naked eye at yeah. this point. And so it's hard to get a range on that really flat stuff because, I mean, there's just... The depth of field is such that you have like a bush and then like a millimeter up is the caribou and like half a millimeter is more. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's really hard to get a range. It's barely, it's like. And I'm kind of like yeah. shaky too, you know? Um, so, so anyway, we think we're about what? Was it 200? The 200. First time? Yeah, yeah. And so we're like, okay, we're in, you know, we're in killing range. And, you know, little bit of backstory, and I'll be, this is going to bury the lead a little bit. <laughs> I bought my first rifle this year. I have shot a rifle. I've okay. hunted this a little year? bit. This is the, that rifle I bought. That's that the I first rifle you ever bought? Yeah, first firearm I've ever owned. Oh, my god! So I've been a bow first hunter. First firearm you've ever owned? Yeah. <laughs> I've shot other people. Like, I've, you know. How did this not come up in conversation? Yeah. So, like, you know, I've. And I you drug this thing all the way to Alaska. Yeah, as a backup gun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had killed a nice Audad a couple years ago. It, like, shot was, like, 464 yards. And I, I feel very comfortable shooting a firearm prone. You know, I've gone to the range. I've done all that. But because of the height of the brush, laying down was not, not an option. option. Yeah. And if you if you guys have ever shot off tripod without any type of proper mount or anything, it's really hard. Like your effective range, I would say is more than cut in half for most people unless you practice as a you know above average is about half your effective range with off yeah. sticks. Like and that. I am so far below average yeah. that. <laughs> And I'm not shooting off sticks with a holder. I'm shooting off a loophole spotter <laughs> in, you know, decently tough, like a decently soft country, but like, you know, lumpy, whatever. And a high pressure, like kind of situation. We get to just under 200 and it comes the time to fire the full, first bullet <laughs> of what turned out to be many. <laughs> yeah. um, so we have two cartridges with three bullets each. Six yep. total bullets in hand. I had an extra magazine on my Seekins. Um, I shoot a Havoc Element, uh, 300 Win Mag, and um, Seekins makes these really good clips. So I have a couple of them, and I, he, it's got a three-round magazine in his gun already, and I have an extra one. I was like, I better give this to John. So I think it was that day, wasn't yeah, it? Uh, the day before, but I have it in my yeah. in my rain jacket pocket. It was kind of a cool, it was a moment of... Uh, it was like symbolic. I took yeah. my um, extra magazine out of my buy now harness and put two batteries in it. Yep. <laughs> like switched battery for bullets. Switching gears. Battery for bullets. Yep. 
like it. So anyway. So I get on, I get the gun resting on top of the spotter. And immediately I look, I'm like, this is not good. Like I knew I was so far out of my element. And I'm like, it's okay. Like this thing, like we're going to make this thing work. See, dude, I didn't know this stuff. You should have told me this. Okay. Side note. Yeah. If you're going to Alaska with people, you should probably get to know them a little better than we know each other. <laughs> because if I had known but, your effective range yep. and comfortability, I would have taken us in closer. 100%. But part of, I mean, again, this is... to me, like 200 with, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm saying with my practice level and knowing my stuff, Yep. 200, I can... No problem. No problem. So that's why I kind of stopped us there. Which but, you never know, like they could bug out, like you know, it's wide open yeah, tundra. No like, if, experience. and if we're standing in, like, although there's brush, if we're standing, our entire top halves are just straight oh, yeah. skyline exposed. We, we, he can just see us, so um, we didn't want to get like super close. We were, there, yeah, there's that like bubble of uncertainty almost. Um, and of course, we probably like, could have gotten in retrospect yeah, closer. V- yeah, we definitely probably at least could have got to under 150 for those first couple shots. So I shoot once, and it's a 300 wind mag. And so, you know, little... The Lord's caliber. Yep. I shoot, and immediately, within half a second of squeezing the trigger, that gun just goes... And I'm like, this is not a great situation. Yeah. Rack another one, get back on him. And I'm feeling pretty good about, like, this. everything was, you know, in terms of controlling the gun up until the trigger pull was pretty normal. Like, I was like, okay, shoot a second round. And, but... You know, thank goodness we're hunting in a spot that there's only been, you know, roughly a couple guys there hunting every yeah. year for the past 20 years. Because it was really not unfazed by the first two shots. Yeah, it started, like, trotting a little bit, but then it kind of like, stopped. It wasn't feed really... Feed and... Yeah. And, it's, and so, you know, third shot, whole first mag gone. Done. And at this point, we're like... Is that when he disappeared for a second? He disappears for a second, and like you were like, "Is he?" I, yeah, I thought he went down. Yeah, you're like, "Oh, he's down," and I immediately said, "No, Hunter, he is not." I know for a fact that <laughs> <laughs> I know that whatever I just did was not not progressing the situation. <laughs> so oh we got one clip left, and at this point, we're you you know we're like, "Let's get closer." Yeah. So we get to about. And obviously, folks, in a perfect world, we'd love to. I would Every have, single animal will kill the first shot. But this is yeah. just real. This is hunting. I'm not making light of it. It's just funny. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this is also like, I mean, I spend more time behind a camera than behind a gun. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, if there's, there's any lesson here is obviously like know your gun, know your range, shoot everything. But I'm human. I'm not a professional hunter. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and there's going to be grace for that. I know plenty of people listening have had precarious 100%. situations. Everybody's got has some kind of story like that. So we close the distance to about, you know, 120, maybe 130 yards. <laughs> and I let two more rounds rip. <laughs> Still no caribou down. Still no caribou. And we cannot, like, he's like. We're literally down to one bullet. And he's like, Hunter is so ramped up that he is. <laughs> We're a hundred yards for this thing, and he's we like, "We keep getting closer." Yeah, like, I was willing. I thought we were going to walk up on him. But you're all the like hunt voice, like whisper, like you got. It wasn't like you got one more round. It was like, dude, you have one more round. You're like, and I'm telling you, I'm like, please be quiet. Like he's okay. right there. First of all, I am deaf. Yeah, he, he naturally, but and I had earplugs in, and so I didn't really realize how yeah. loud I was talking, and I was excited. Yeah, but so, so combination. We get down to one bullet. 
And last, uh, but bu- I'm feeling the pressure too, dude. Like, dude, you have one bullet. Very killable bull. One bullet left. Last night in Alaska, and you it's know, like make or break. You yeah. make the shot, or we're done. We're done. Maybe we could sprint up to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, like go native mode. Well, yeah, when you're like talking like knives yeah. and like pistol sidearms, the everything's at that point not in great sorts. Yeah. So, so anyway, so we have one bullet left, and like you make the great call, and we kind of agree. We're like. We're going to get as close to this thing as possible. Yeah. So we get to like 80 yards, hit the dirt. We start crawling. Yeah. And as we're crawling, my adrenaline, cortisol, I throw up in my mouth. <laughs> I just just throw up in my mouth. He has no clue. Literally threw up in your mouth. Threw up in my mouth, swallow it back down as wow. I'm crawling with the gun. And we get to a spot at about 65 to 60 yards. And there's one little open patch where there's no bushes and Hunter hands me his bipod. Um, we get the bipod Spartan on the gun. precision. Yep. Bipod. I get down, and he's got one big bush that this bull's behind. And he can, if he goes left, I have no shot. If he goes right, he gets into the one little lane where I can shoot from a prone position. Lo and behold. If I didn't hand you the bipod, were you just going to go off, like, army style? I have no clue. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah, I have no clue at that point. I, dude, I was, I mean, everything going through my mind was, like, You've used up. You've used up four more opportunities than you should have. Yeah. You know this is the last. Well, anyway, it, it all you got comes the bipod. To, yeah, it all comes down to to this one shot, and all comes down. I'm rested, settled in, now prone, now into a position I'm comfortable in, and he's at 65 yards with a 300 wind mag, and he walk, clears that bush, and probably from your angle, you thought I shot through a bunch of brush, but I see his. Oh, uh, actually, no, no. On the footage, you shot through a bunch of brush. Well, from my angle, from I can my see it explode. From my angle, I can see his vitals through the top of right, like right. brush. I'm like, I can clearly see hide. I can see his shoulder crease, and I'm like, okay. The last shot was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm settled in. I'm good, and thankfully that shot, yes, perfect drop. Right him. behind the shoulder, perfect um, placement. But dude, then then that moment, dude, he just collapses on the tundra. I have this all on film, and just like steam like huge puffs of steam are just coming I'm, out of his mouth he goes six shots bro <laughs> <laughs> i was so like it was there was nothing in inside of me that could have prepared myself for one like the chaos level mixed with a little bit of stress but more so just like oh, this definitely. like deep desire to like not be like on that I, long pack raft out with six oh, bullets and no bull. Yeah. I mean, I had every opportunity. It was like, you know, there's a lot of things in hunting, like the wolves. Like, there's a lot of times that, like, it's partially out of your control if things don't go your way. This was the first time in my life that I don't think I could, I couldn't say anything. I mean, I missed every opportunity, would have missed every opportunity. Yeah. And so that moment, like, I mean, the release, I just rolled, I mean, my eyes were closed. I rolled on my back. I'm just like, I just can't even believe this. Yeah. And, you know, it makes for a great story. It makes for a good, like, learning, constructive thing for me to spend more time yeah. shooting from sticks. But last day, last bullet, second tag filled, yep. we had completed the mission. Yeah, and I was I was there. I was, I was probably being very loud and very excited, but I was trying to help. I was trying to get ranges for you, you know, capture the moment. Um, I remember a couple times being like, all right, just... Breathe slow. Breathe yeah. slow. I don't know. I don't even know if you're breathing fast, but yeah. I was just trying my best to help. Um, I probably would have. Well, it doesn't matter. Retrospect or hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, 
yeah, we probably got to got a little closer. But whatever, you know, the bull went down cleanly and ethically in the end. Took, yeah. Took a few shots, but um, it wasn't like you were like, you know, hit him in the leg, hit yeah, him in the I butt, hit yeah. him in the face. Like it was, you know, pretty much clean. And that last shot was um, was a kill shot. So, um, yeah, it was amazing, dude. Um, and so we... That was the start of a lot of work, too. Yeah, we worked our butt off. We... He was... Let me just say about the bull, too. Yeah. He was a younger bull than mine. Two or three years old, about half the age. Probably, yeah. yeah. More compact rack, but beautiful. Like, tons of points going around on the top. Double shovels, double back scratches, bezes, all that stuff. He was really pretty compact bull. Had a nice yeah. white throat. And, and to go back to like you know what we talked about a little bit with your bull, bull, we killed the two bulls that we had chances at. Yeah, and that's like you I know, wouldn't it wouldn't change a thing. I know a lot of caribou hunting. You know, especially probably in years that have really strong migrations, you probably get to pick and choose a little more. You get to yeah. watch some bulls. You get to pass some bulls. Given the way that we were hunting patterning getting bedded getting feeded bulls like you know we took the two opportunities that we got yeah. and blessed it's, for them it's cool like you know i don't have a ton of experience but i've i mean hunting experience it sounds like i do have more than yeah. you so it's cool like you were very i'm not trying to sound like i like was the hunter and i was like helping you because you were glassing a ton of animals you were like integral part of this hunt um but and i was seriously just kind of at my like almost at that level of my comfort zone where i'm kind of trying to take care of myself on yeah. some level you know yeah <laughs> like, i'm sure. just barely surviving but it is kind of cool like because i got to do the hunt with luke too where and not that he's not experienced outdoorsman it's just that you guys spend most of your time working and filming during hunting season yeah, and we're so you're you're developing that skill and like that kind of thing so it's it's kind of interesting, like if I if it's something I do more going forward, of almost like almost like like mentoring a little bit. Not that I was mentoring you, but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah, but there's also like there's just so many different elements. So like you know like you come back to elk hunting. It's like you know I've been on you know many more elk hunts than you yeah. have. But like the scenarios change so much species to species, yeah. and even if you are a tenured, you know I've spent more than a decade with a bow in my hand chasing whitetails. I've been on plenty of elk hunts. I've mm -hmm. drawn on elk. Yeah, I've done yeah. like killed an elk, you know, like I've done killed an awdad. You're about to go on your yeah. first, like all those things in our minds, we love to attribute. Like, I know that there are some commonalities that carry over hunt to hunt, but the eye opening thing for me is like a lot of my hunting experience is just so different than Alaska and so different yeah. than caribou. Yeah. And it's like, you can have a lot of, you could be a great bugler. You could be a great, archer you mm -hmm. could be the guy that can hike 12 miles a day and pack but like this specific hunt channeled a lot of different things that you had experience in true. that i had no experience in that is true that um, is that yeah because it, it is very weird like i have more alaska experience than elk hunting yeah probably even more i have more alaska experience than mule deer hunting yeah so it's just it's just weird it's just a different kind of and so you think, you know, I went into this thinking that, and granted, like I said, there's a lot of commonalities. And I'm not some Alaska badass yeah, guys. Yeah. Like, I'm still learning too. But a lot, yeah. a lot of my experience is from doing it. And there's things, locating animals, patterning animals, reading animal behavior. There's a lot of things that do carry over. But in those moments, like, choosing where to shoot from, choosing where to access, like, you know, just going, it was just so different than, yeah. than everything. In a really, everything I've ever done in a really cool way. And to have you there, 
you know, mentorship is a, is a great word, but it's also just like having a support system of someone that's going to like be mutually, you know, goal oriented as you, and also be able to, you know, both film and just be in your ear of like, you know, you got this, yeah. like stay calm, like those things, sure. like not to not be on an Island, I yes. think is the best yeah. way to put it. I was far, the furthest thing from on and on. Not honestly, it didn't get target panic. I didn't like nothing about that was like a, anxiety ridden yeah. situation for me but it was really good to have someone there just like procedurally processing it with me for sure and saying and, like yeah and same goes for me too i mean there there are moments when you t- i remember you talked me off a freaking <laughs> talked me off a ledge with the with the rafting because i was so nervous about it you're like dude we're gonna be fine like we're gonna yeah. be fine so we we both were helping each other out man it's like that's why you know hats off to you if you can solo hunt yeah. I, i've done it before I think it's great to have the fellowship and the support because there's just naturally going to be times when, you know, your partner or you just need that extra little kick for a second. And then, you know, maybe five minutes later, you're kicking your buddy, you know, whatever it is. So um, I like that too. You put it very eloquently. I like that. So, um, so we got awesome, dude. We got them packed out four and a half miles back to camp. And then, Oh, you breezed through that way too quick. That was a rough pack out. It was rough. (laughs) I don't want to remember it. it that was, was like that's like the clip. It doesn't note sound like terrible, like four and a half miles. But those caribou are pretty big. Yeah. Um, he was carrying a full cape too. Yep. Um, I had a heavy freaking camera and the rifle and extras and two quarters, and I brought like my bear pistol that day. I had my waders in my backpack, which was stupid. But you know, we're both pushing eighty to hundred pounds. Oh, with, dude, I bet it, my pack but, was easy 110. Yeah, yeah, very much possible. And I would, yeah, I would probably agree with that. And then, you know, you're going through, like, the river crossing that you thought was super easy when you had 30 pounds on your back is all of a sudden a little bit different. Yeah. I <laughs> you mean, know? a couple rocks slip and yeah. outcomes could be different. Um, and the nice hard path, the nice, like, mile part of it that you're like, this is so easy. You seemingly find all the little holes, all the little, sl- like, you just, like, Absolutely. you know. It was it, a mental slog. Yeah, and we got back to. Which, like, three hours? Yeah, three hours. And we got back to camp at, like, you know, 11.30 p.m. All the well, you know, your mental state is like, hey, this pack out is brutal, but I have to wake up tomorrow and start a 25-mile raft. So out. That's, that's <laughs> 70 mile ride. Yeah, well, the, well, the first day we're like, yeah, right, okay, right. like we're going to try to get yeah. a bunch of miles in. Yes, it's not like I can chill tomorrow. It's yeah. like tomorrow we have to wake up, break down camp, take care of all this meat, plus another bowl, get it all in the pack rafts, pack up, and then like try to chew off as many miles as we can. Yep. It was not the sunny rest day with with grayling row and like yeah. blueberry jam. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> it's like trial by fire again. Yeah, I had like tactical M&Ms that I ate the entire day. I was like, all I had, like, was... <laughs> it's this rock candy he had that was, what was it called? They're, like, they're oh, literally... battery's about to go. Okay. Let me switch the battery really quick, guys. Quick pause. All right, so John had these... <laughs> these candies that uh, were called, like, Ops Rocks or something. They are basically was... chocolate-covered, like, and they had, like, caffeine and, like... A couple of nutrients or something like in it. like fat and a bunch of vitamins. It was from this company yeah. called like Tactical Nutrition. Not, never had them before. Yeah. Literally bought them discount on like yeah. Sierra Trading but Post. I, I jokingly called them Tactical M&Ms, which yep. is basically what they were. They were like a little chocolate covered, but they were good. Um, anyway, so you were crushing those. I think I stopped halfway through the pack out and made a bagel because yep. it was like dinner time and like I was just about to bonk. So, but we made it. It was definitely a grinder. And then, yeah, the next morning it was like, all right. 
mercifully, thank God again, yep. the next morning, it wasn't as sunny, but like we got a little bit of sun and it wasn't, main thing was it wasn't raining. Yep. Um, it wasn't like overly sunny, but it was enough that we could um, pack up camp meticulously, which we had to do and shuttle meat down to the like boat launch site. Yep. Both of us, you know, have this kind of, at least for me, I have like just a little bit of looming like Not just at least for you. We'll get to my freak out moment. We okay. We both <laughs> had like just in the back of our head this like looming sense of a little bit of fear. It's just intimidating. This yep. long mountain. I mean, we're talking about each carrying admittedly too much gear, a and, lot of food, and a bull each. And you're shoving like the idea of being at a river's edge in an inflatable craft while shoving so that the way that you save on space is you put your gear, your quarters at inside of the raft tube. Yeah, the meat actually goes inside the inflatable part of the raft tube. So like my brain, I'm like, I'm removing air and adding weight. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, the real estate is less air, yeah. more weight. More straight meat. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I put my entire caribou except for the head and two big dry bags of gear. Actually, it's counterintuitive, but you actually put your most important like gear that you can't get wet in the tubes that's the yeah. driest spot so i had dry bags so that's another thing like if you're gonna do anything like this just bring extra dry bags so i put all my camera gear and like clothing and stuff like that and some dry bags in the tubes and all the meat so it's just it's uh it's daunting i guess it's a good way and you're like, like yeah and it's you have, serious yeah you know we have 70 river miles ahead of us and you're like it's literally like packing up to go to war. You're like, every piece you put in, you're just like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And like you, I mean. Like packing up to go to battle or something. Yeah, yeah. And you have like, you know, you mentioned the dry bags. If I were to do it again, which we got told that like you learn, it's better to have like five, like 30 liter dry bags than like a big, like Yeti Panga. Like yeah. the bigger the bag, the less stuff you put in your tube, the more stuff's on your raft. And when you're in these pack rafts, you're like getting like a prostate surgery. Like your legs are like up in stirrups. Like it's yeah. not like you're sitting in a raft, like a canoe right, right, right. and going like you I are. I was able to sit Indian style most of the time, but I had to like rotate with putting my feet out like that. Yep. It, it's not like, roomy yep it's i mean you're in there with a bunch of gear and so yeah i had like a dry bag and then my pack and then the caribou head tied down so it, yep. it, i mean i had to look over it i had to go like this to see in front of me like yep. it was that's how high it was on my raft and you're only when you're sitting in the water you're only like legitimately like six to eight inches from the water line yeah mm -hmm. um and yeah and your, your thing is full of meat Yep. Um, which that keeps it cool, which is good. But um, which, thank goodness, those alpaca rafts, those rangers, they have so many tie downs. They're so well. Like yeah. getting gear secured on those was a breeze. It was, and I actually I got my stuff kind of set up. We'll go back to the zipper yeah. moment, but I got my stuff kind of on there loaded before John did. I just started earlier than him, and I had it tied up, and it was kind of this little like like small little like kind of harbor to use a yeah. better, lack of a better word where the water wasn't moving. And I was just like, kind of just sat in it, just be like, all right, what's this like? You know, just get a little, and I was like, okay, this doesn't feel too bad. And so then I felt a little better. And then, so yeah, and so then I, right as I'm feeling like, okay, we can do this, I hear. We're effed. We're absolutely, <laughs> like, and my voice was, my octaves were just raising. But we're effed. <laughs> I get my backpack, I get everything, all my meat, I get my hunt pack, everything in the raft, and I go to, there's one zipper, one yeah. like, in, in really well made zipper, like, this is no, this is just a product of being on sandy beaches. Spec like these are I'm, loner rafts. So yeah. They weren't like new out of the box. They've been used and loved probably quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, 
And so I go and pull that zipper and I, the zipper gets halfway down and behind it just splits open. So I'm like, this is what keeps the air in the tubes. This is the, the one this seal. Is the this is the one ziplock. Yeah. And I pull the ziplock halfway and boop, pops open behind it. And I just and look keeps at doing him, it. And I just look at him and I say, we're effed. We're totally like, we're done. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh no. And thankfully, you know, like for all the times that I settled him down, like we talked about, he comes <laughs> over, pulls out his knife, starts getting some of the dirt and debris out of the zipper thing. Alpaca on these loaners, they have like this great little like troubleshooting kit. It's even got instructions like, hey, if this happens, do yeah. this. There's zipper lube. Like, you know, they definitely knew that like, obviously if you do a lot of pack rafting, you're going to encounter these things eventually. Um, and so five, 10 minutes into it. They just cleaned the zipper up. a little bit, lubed it up, and then it was able to yeah. zip. Um, and of course at that moment, like I just told you, I was like, I'm not, I think I have, even though it zipped and you're like, okay, it's good. I'm like, great. I'm going to start this journey in this compromised zipper. <laughs> we're going to hit one little wave bump and that thing is going to pop back open and I'm going to be swimming. We were talking about it earlier. Like Alpaca Raft makes incredible product. Like, yeah. like that, those things got us. I remember one point looking back and seeing the mountains and you, you couldn't even see them anymore. Yeah. And we had come from those things on these rafts big enough to fit in your backpack. They're amazing. They did the job amazingly. But still, like it's your 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 life is in the balance of a couple millimeters yep. of some proprietary, you know, PVC blend or something and some stitching. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's uh It's just an it's elevated wild. version of everything else. Like you could have a Eight hundred dollar stone glacier pack and a strap could break and you're a buckle on a your buckle. belt and you or... and you know and you can't pack out an animal like so it's like it's that margin of error that's normal in any you know backcountry hunting scenario except you're on thirty three degree water that's just cooking yeah and there's no help close by and it would be insanely hard to get a fire going and it could go downhill quick yep um, if it so but we got. A mile or two down the river. Oh, we were just like, yes. This is so sick. <laughs> like, you know, once the, the once that wore off and we went through some good, like, you know, class one-ish little rollers and a couple little char holes and, like, we made it through just what we perceived to be, like, some of the hardest stretches of the river that were close. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of just enjoyment after yeah. that. Yeah, it was, you know, it was. It was pretty fun. We started being like, okay, this is cool. This is pretty legit. Like... You definitely had to work. It wasn't like, you know, they say like a float out. That's really a misnomer because while you are floating, um, <laughs> you are very active in picking lines, you do not finding braids. Like you get barred out. If you relax too much, you'll just hit a bar and you got to get out and pull your boat. So you have to be very aware and You don't active. go 100 or 200 yards without rowing. No. Like it is not a lazy river. No, no, no. But we, but we got over that fear factor, and then it just became kind of, I mean, honestly, like, it was fun for a while, and then it just became kind of a grind. Yeah. I mean, it was five, like, imagine driving somewhere in your car for five hours. It's, you know, it's a long time to sit and just do something like that. Yep. Um, so it's kind of, you know, imagine on a, you know, pretty cold, wet, a little bit stressful, scary, you know, slightly scary maybe at some time. Yeah. Not, I was never really scared. Yeah. But, like, it's just a high-stress situation and for five hours. And you have to be, like, you know, if you don't, if you want to do a pack raft thing and you haven't spent time, even just in a canoe or a kayak on your local river, like, you need to be able to read river currents. Like, you need yeah. to be able to see, like, hey, these, you know, some of these bigger waves is a nice scene that's going to be more water. These ripples are going to be bars because, like, 
especially for me, if you don't have waders, every little bar that you get stuck on and you have to go stand out and drag your thing off of is wet boots. Yeah. Um, I had the waders, so I was a little bit more just readily like, ah, whatever, and just jump yeah. out and just pull. But it's still, it's a pain, and it yeah. slows you down. It burns extra calories, and to pull the boat sometimes on those things. So you have to be very cognizant of where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so mentally and physically, you know, your hands start to get a little sore and like raw. Mine did. You get a little sore. So we did five, pretty much five hours straight, um, covered 24 miles that first day yeah, exactly we went, i think it was more like seven hours we're like two to nine okay wow so but anyway then we, we just find this random little island in the middle of the river yep we camp on it and you know just another example of god just god and good planning to be honest yeah. i was looking at the weather the whole time but god helping us for sure and just you know being wise but um it started raining right we got camp set up we were both kind of hangry we had just zippered our tents yeah. and just and I was getting all cranky because I was yeah. hungry. And yeah, then rain. So it was perfect. Got everything set up in the dry. Next morning, again, uh, we got totally blessed. It was warm, sunny 55, day. 58 degrees, sunny. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, it closed, the clouds rolled in a little bit later. But on the whole, it was a beautiful like day yeah. for up there. And then it was just another, another uh, long five, six-hour raft. Yep. Um, we ate a little breakfast, packed up, and hit the water. And just sent it and we went we made it all the way to the boat launch we got to the boat launch at what like five yeah five p.m yeah five six p.m it was wild man i mean we literally went from a mountain landscape clear water to flat delta plain muddy water almost like louisiana Silty, or something yeah like like weird yeah just completely change of ecosystem you know, when you go down, like you said, in an airboat or whatever, something fast, you don't really experience the landscape. It's kind of like doing a long road trip on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Like, you see it, you feel it, you smell it, you're in the environment. And so, like, we really went from, like, the Brooks Range Mountains into the flats. And it was just amazing looking back and be like, dude, we floated out from that, like, under our own power. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, pontificating too much here, but... It was like a crazy adventure. It was really rewarding. I mean, that's like the biggest thing is like yeah. all that, you know, with fear becomes, fear comes from a lot of self-doubt. So like when you're doubting your ability or doubting your gear and you get validated through perseverance, like it is a payoff. It is, well you said. know, yeah, it is really rewarding. And it is like that big, you do feel like you won. You're like, yeah. you know, it is something worth celebrating. Um, you know, one of my favorite parts of obviously covering that much river mileage, you know, a lot of people... Not a lot of people, but you know, there's 10 to 20 camps over this course of that 70 river miles. So to like, to float past these camps of people with jet boats, air boats, got dropped in on super cubs. They're propane grills, propane grills, and we yeah. smelled fire, and we're like passing them, and you know, to have like they're bulls. Yeah, and there are other out of state hunters and really cool people, and like to have them like, you know, you float by them, they're just like. Yeah, congrats, like yeah. pumping fists. It was a really cool like hunting community yeah. moment to like have your bull sitting up there and to get celebrated passing all these other, like it, cool. it felt like very old school, like, you know, early trapper days, like this collective yeah. effort celebration. Yeah. And of, we, it's kind of like we had just come out of 
you know, another world, and we're coming with these, like, beasts that we brought out of the other world into this. Yeah, <laughs> and they're, like, you know, people are, like, you know, some of those camps, you know, they're 30, 40 miles from where we were hunting. They're, like, where'd y'all come from? And we're, yeah. like, the mountains. And, and like, like it's this, you know, you can see the top 2,000 feet of the Brooks Range, yeah. and it's way off in the distance, and they're, like, wow. It was, like, an exit parade. Yeah. <laughs> Not, not exactly, but no, no. There were moments that felt like it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I, I, he was he was moving a lot faster than I was on the river, so I think he probably got the better reactions out of people. But um, I did interact with a few people, but it was cool, man. Just waving people down, and I saw a couple fist pumps in there, and yeah, cool. and to see, you know, I remember vividly like one guy was fishing. I talked to him for a second, then came on by this group who's also in going through dead horse as yeah. their outfitter um texas but guys. yeah they were texas guys and you know i'm you know live now in oklahoma but you know to have like and i'm sure you would have felt the same way if you saw like other virginia or other like southeastern people like to see people out there you know normally when you're in a public land hunting scenario you're a little bit on edge when you see other people even yeah. if you like even if you're you know like me like i don't really care like public land has tons of pressure like when you're elk hunting you see people or whatever but like it was a different feeling than like us encroaching on each other's yeah. space. It was like this big collective, like, you know, there's room enough for everybody. Yeah. Kind of. This like tribal yeah. culture of like, we're all hunting the migration type thing. You know yeah. what I mean? No, for sure, man. Um, I like that, but that was really cool. And, you know, especially like to hear guys like that, like also have success. It was just very, a group celebratory environment. Yeah. And even when we got back to like the Brooks camp or whatever, there's other groups are waiting to go out and other guys coming back in. And, um, so it's cool meeting some of those guys and and chatting. But um, yeah, I mean, before we, I guess you know we won't go too much longer here. It's getting late, but yeah. um, I don't know any like other things that just stand out from the trip, like from that part of the trip. One thing we talked about, and I'll give a shout out to another outdoor creative, Adam Foss. Really well, you know, he big sheep hunt guy, um, one of the best, you know. Doc, hunt documenters um probably in our industry guest on the podcast previous yep. guest if you want to go check it out episode with him he made a post um about a week or two before we left of a guy crossing a river not you know not too dissimilar to some that we cross and um said something along the lines of someday our feet won't take us here anymore um i think my big takeaway from this week as a whole is the adventure the rigorous requirements of what we chose to do is probably not something that I could do 10 or 15 years from now. You know, we hit it at a time in our lives where we're both physically fit enough to do it. Um, and that was like the number one thing that I'm most grateful for. And like, I couldn't emphasize more for someone that really craves adventure and unique hunting scenarios is like, these caribou tags might not be over the counter for very long. These types of, whether it's caribou or anything, like if you want to do something like this, very much chase it when your body and your mind yeah. is in a state that you can persevere and that you it's can. It's not a thing to push off. Yeah. It's, you know and, you're going to have next year, man. Yeah. And it's, it's not something that, you know, I would, I'll, we talked about like, I would probably, I'll probably never do that specific raft out pack hunt again. Yeah. Um, but like the double rainbow, like the muskox at 25 yards to like, as a hunter to to get these unicorn moments, these like, you know, cliche once in a lifetime, but just to have these like canned, unique, you know, not repeatable things. It, it was the biggest, it was the biggest takeaway. It was the biggest blessing of just like, even more so than the bull to go and do something that, 
I know in my heart I'll probably never get to do again in that fashion. And then wow. to do it with someone that, you know, we get to share the same level of angst, the same level of, you know, we have a similar skill set. We have a similar, like, there's to share it with someone that's on a similar ground, um, someone that is now a buddy. Like, yeah. you know, I, I really, really, really would encourage a lot of people that love Western hunting and adventure to plan something that you get to problem solve with your friends and yeah. you get to go and push yourself. Well, appreciate you, dude. You did a really good job. It was a good hunt, man. Anything um, on your end? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit, I mean, I feel like, you know, we could, there's so many things we could talk about. Um, biggest takeaways, you know, the biggest thing, you know, just really push yourself, man. Like it kind of piggybacks off what you said, I think, but there, I don't know where the phrase came from. I heard it from somebody, but that the thing that kept going through my head randomly after the whole trip was just expect to self rescue. And that's what you need to do. Like with Alaska, like that's very much the mindset of the people up here. It's like, if something goes wrong, you kind of, you get, you, you do what you're going to you say, you do what you say you're going to do. And if something goes wrong, like it's on you to figure it out, you know? And like, um, you know, there's been other times in past hunts, you know, when I was still learning. And I think when you're with someone of a greater skill level or more experience than you, at least myself, it's maybe a flaw of mine. I don't know. I tend to defer to them and kind of look to them to kind of fix everything to like, if something goes wrong, like, okay, well, what do we do now? Like this time I felt very much like that was on me and it was, and not taking away anything from yeah. John too either, but it just felt like it wasn't up to anybody else. Like, you know, ultimately if something happens to John, it's just as bad of a situation as if it happens to me because there's no way in hell I'm leaving them out there or anything like that. So we're in this thing together. I mean, and you, pl I mean, yeah, this was your, you planned it. You're the, you're the logistics guy of this yeah. trip. And it, that responsibility did fall on your shoulders. Yep. I remember when we first set out, Hook finally came out and kind of gave us the spiel. It was quick yeah. and to the point and not very much, but he gave us the little spiel. I remember just standing there. He's, you know, probably what, six, seven inches taller than me. Yeah. And he was just kind of very matter of fact. And I'm just like, yeah. And I, that was when it sunk in. I was like, whoa, dude. Like, this is about to go down. And uh, it was because it's serious, dude. Like, yeah. it's it's a serious endeavor. Like, um, I'm not going to say it's, like, dangerous or scary, but you you have to respect it. And so I do recommend that people do this, try this. At the same time, you need to be a little bit realistic or at least know what you're going into you know, I didn't just, like, jump into this hunt, like, day one. I, this is my third time to Alaska. Like I said, every other time I've been with someone who knew more about Alaska than me and could kind of help me through and learn stuff. So uh, I'm not saying go plan a 70-mile float out by yourself next year, like, yeah. just willy-nilly, because it's serious. And it, it, it's, it, it took everything I have as a hunter to pull it off. But we... We yeah. and God blessed us big time. Yeah, we but had, we we freaking did it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> we did it. We filled two tags. We had an amazing hunt, amazing footage. We floated out. We did all our stuff. We problem solved. We got across that river when we needed to. And we didn't want to. You know, we we did it. So you know, and shout out to God. We couldn't do anything without Him. Obviously, Absolutely. we give glory to God. But, but at the same time, we used we we brought our loaves and fish, and we did our part, and we we did it with God's help, man. So. Yeah. Um, great trip, like extremely memorable hunt. Can't wait to put the films up together. And, um, it's going to be a tough one to top 
You know, I'm the same way. I don't know if I'll ever do this same specific hunt again. Not because I wouldn't want to, yeah. but just I, I would like to go back and hunt there sometime. Um, just there's so many other adventures out there waiting. Man. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of do the same thing when you know there's just a, a different adventure you could do. So I would like to go back for caribou sometime again. Maybe a different type of trip. Maybe a different time, a slightly different time of year. But that's my main thing. It's just like. Because even when you said that zipper, like when you're like, we're effed in the zipper, literally my first thing was, like my subconscious goes, I'm being totally vulnerable here. Okay, sweet. Our raft is broken. We have to get picked up now. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're going back to camp. We're setting up. We're waiting for the airboat to come get us. And I was like, I walk over and I was like, no, right, let's see it. Let's try to fix this thing. And, yep. and we did. It wasn't a big deal. But um, I think pushing yourself, sorry, I, keep, I know I'm rambling here, but the last thing on that is, um, getting outside your comfort zone, yeah. you know, like that's how you get better as a, it's analogous to in the gym, in life, as a person, if you want to grow, you have to get uncomfortable, get outside your comfort zone and that's where growth happens, but it's not comfortable in the moment. Yeah. So like a lot of this hunt in, you know, in the moment was uncomfortable. Like I said, I really felt like that, that, that pack out, the raft out was kind of like looming over my head the whole trip, but you know. We did it. We enjoyed the experience, and um, I think we're coming out of this definitely better hunters, better I would, people. I always think, shout out Virginia. I always love the line from Remember the Titans where he's like, ask Denzel Washington's ass, he's like, is football fun, Petey? Is hunting fun? And he's like, yes, sir. He's like, are you sure? He's like, no, sir. Is football fun? <laughs> Zero fun, sir. Like, there was a lot of that on Type this trip. fun, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, when you look back on the experience, as like I said, it's so rewarding. Yeah. It's more than just like, oh, that was fun. Steve Rinaldi, you know, yeah. the roller coaster's fun, but this is a different level. This is like a yeah. life experience. And I think, you know, there's there's plenty of giant caribou out there. You could, you know, we saw giants. We saw probably book animals. You know, we, we didn't kill book animals, but like when you put that stress and that, and when you set that bar of getting out of your comfort zone, whether it's a six and a half year old bull, whether it's a three and a half year old bull, it really didn't matter because it was like just the best payoff. Like it was, yeah. it relieved, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter, you're not a trophy hunter, but stretching yourself on the adventure side of it relieved any obligation to worry about what the animal was that you harvested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for the bulls we got. I'm so grateful that um, I love my bull. I think he's cool. I like to say he's an ancient old bull that was regressing from his prime. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if that's true at all, but he has got an awesome, like, representative, big old shovel. Um, you know, he's got he's got a good frame, and I don't even care. Like, he's he's just cool looking. It's just yeah, you know, it's just amazing. I I wouldn't change anything about this hunt, man. Like, um, super stoked with how it came out. Can't wait to share the visuals, and more so, yeah. like, definitely be on the lookout for. You know, your, you know, after action report, you know, yeah. this, we were very experiential on this podcast, but all the logistics and a lot of the little gear details and everything, there's so much yeah. that was learned that I can't wait for you to share with yeah, people. Yeah, like we've been, this is, this is the end of two days on the back end of this trip of yeah. literally just logistics of getting dry ice, getting fish boxes, packing meat, transporting meat, storing meat. Uh, taxidermists cutting up antlers and skulls checking on airplanes like yeah we really learned firsthand a lot about what it takes to successfully get your trophy and your meat which is yeah. as much of a trophy as the trophy to me home uh, properly 
Because if you don't, if you take the extra couple hours like we did, getting the dry ice, getting the right fish boxes, packing them properly, storing them properly, you'll get home with tasty, delicious meat you can enjoy. If you, if you, you know, we could have just been like, oh, they're frozen and just yeah. left them in the box and we would have gotten home with something, but it probably would have been not great. Yeah. And maybe completely spoiled. So. And that's just the surface level of so many details that like, I think that you can, you know, educate other people just to make things more fluid because the, the, with each step, with each little minor logistic thing that we learned, it just got so much easier and yeah. so much more enjoyable. And yeah. I think like going into, I think everyone's guilty of this, going into the hunt, we're so focused on the pursuit of an animal that we definitely think about the logistics, but it's not a priority thing. And for this specific hunt and probably most Alaskan hunts, if you really invest into learning those logistics, whether it's through podcasts, yes. videos, like you're just going to have a more enjoyable time yeah, by a lot. Yeah. Like it's just going to be more fluid. You're going to be more confident. You're going to get to celebrate and sit in the things that are worth sitting in and you're not going to, yes. you know, get stuck in the stuff that's just going to drive your, you know, drive you up a pole. Yep. The last thing that just came to mind, like with Alaska, you have to play the weather. Yep. Like you don't let it play. Like you don't dictate what you do. You let the weather dictate what you do. <laughs> Yeah. Know, that was just like a random popped in my head. But yeah, man, great trip. Um, I don't know. It's it's coming up on pretty late. So yeah, guys, we're gonna we got a flight in the morning. We're probably gonna close it here. Yep. That was basically a recap. Like John said, I'm gonna do an in-depth podcast with all the details of logistics and all stuff to help you guys out. Uh, we just want to tell the story of the hunt, kind of lay it down while we're in person together. Um, but yeah, that was uh that was it. So be on the lookout for this. Um, you know, probably this is probably the first um, episode of season two of the show on Sportsman, but I'm working on a way to um, do a closer to real-time digital release, so keep an eye out for that, or might be sharing some of the content through a video podcast we were discussing, yeah. like put some footage into potentially this or a future uh, podcast that kind of tell the story better with some visuals. So yeah. anyway, be on the lookout for all this stuff. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, you know, follow me on social. I appreciate you guys' support. And uh, we'll just close it here. But uh, thanks again, dude. It's a way to kick off the season. It was an amazing way to kick off the season. So thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you on the next one.